This is the place where we'll talk about mindset, we'll talk about mental models, we'll talk about actionable tactics such that you can go out and create purpose-driven organizations. Today's guest is Dane Barlow. I'm really delighted, privileged to have him on the show today. Back in 2009, Dane made a decision to become the world champion in jiu-jitsu. And at that time, he was sleeping uh, in his sister's garage. He then became a world champion. He then is now a, a speaker who travels all over the world, teaching people how to set goals, how to uh, create the life of their dreams. Welcome to the show, Dane. Thank you so much for being here. Great to meet you. Take us back to that day or that night or that moment back in 2009 when you make that decision while you were in your sister's garage. You know, I had already been, according to the, you know, my generation of people considered successful, right? I, I had done things. I had built a construction company. I had seen a lot of successes. I didn't have really, it had gotten to the point I could work 15 hours a week and I would play hide and go seek with my kids all the time and just play. And we, you know, through the recession, you know, a series of horrible events, you know, ended up that I didn't have anything. And with just a little bit of money I had left, I called up my sister and I said, hey, can I move into your garage and, and turn it into a living space for me and my family? And we actually cut a hole in the ceiling, put in a set of stairs, and in the attic above her garage, we built a, I built a tiny little studio and moved my three kids in there. And, you know, I didn't have a water heater, so the, the pipes would freeze, uh, cold showers or no showers if, if the water or if the pipes were frozen. And, you know, I was, I had, I'd been too successful in life at that time to even know how to get help. And I didn't know how to get food stamps. I didn't know how to get uh, a lot of things. And I remember like I was sitting in bed one evening and I looked down at my hands and I was like, I have not changed anybody's life. Like I, I made a lot of money. Yes, I did charity. I, you know, religious things, whatever. But, but I honestly had felt that I had never changed anybody's life. And I thought if I were to die now in this garage during this time, nobody would know my name. It wouldn't even matter. I'd just be a blip. My kids are, might remember for that generation and that would be it. I hadn't left a mark. I hadn't done anything good enough for the people around me that I would even be remembered. And I thought that's kind of sad. You know, that you can go through the turmoils of life, you can have success and failure, and, and in the end, maybe you disappear and nobody would know. And I think it's a common belief amongst people themselves to, I mean, the reason why we have names on jerseys, right? People want to be known. They want people to know their name. And when I was, when I was 18, I wanted to be a state champion in wrestling, and I lost my first 10 matches that year. And I was pretty decent at wrestling. And my stepdad, he sat me down one day and he said, listen, you're nobody's hero. You're not a champion. You know, you need to get rid of these dreams and you need to go just plan on getting a job as soon as school is out, work your 24 seven, you know, just put in your, your normal 40 hour work week. Just be glad that you're staying out of prison. I thought, I thought this is so sad. Like, like who says this to their kid? And it wasn't reverse psychology. Like this guy truly believed that I was not special. And, uh, you know, and, and I had driven to, to escape that all my life. And then here I found myself 
during the recession broke living in a garage and and having not been somebody's hero. And so, you know, I thought I had to, I had to change and I didn't I didn't know how that was going to happen, but I I felt like if I could save $10,000, I could I could change my life. And so, you know, I I had pause for one second cuz you're going through it really quick. I want to okay. bring back to so your stepfather said something to you basically saying that you're not going to be worth anything other than being ordinary, right? Yep. And then you use that as a fuel or as fuel to help you achieve the commercial success that you had in the construction business. And now because of the recession or other things happen, you had to call your sister to say, "Hey, can I move myself and my family to your garage?" So I want to bring us back to that moment or that period back in 2009, because one may say it's perhaps easier to stop from the bottom because you've never been quote unquote successful, right? But you've seen some level of success, and now you encounter this hardship, this adversity, then you have to call your sister. So how difficult was it to essentially? call your sister and ask for help during that time. I want to, you know, because and and why I'm asking that question specifically is is that during this time of uncertainty and adversity, it's maybe hard. It's it is hard to ask for help. So, I want us to bring bring us back to that moment if you could. Yeah, I really didn't have an option, you know. Where do you go? The streets? Your car? and people do that and i could have done that but if i didn't look for help who would if i didn't show other people it's okay to ask for help this is i mean pride is a big deal we all have it we all fight it and pride is one of those things that doesn't allow you to seek help and my option was to be on the streets or to live in my car or call my sister and you know my family they'd all at some point asked me for help and and i always gave you know yeah move in or you know if you need a little break financially we're very close in my family so for me when it when i hit that point there there was no option and i i was looking for answers who who has a space who's close and my sister lived less than a mile away <laughs> and and I knew that she had I mean I had built that house for her so I I knew that her the attic over her garage was big enough for a studio and I knew that she wouldn't say no like I knew she wouldn't say no so when I presented her with my my specific set of challenges that my house had just been sold um at a foreclosure auction and and I actually had another house that owned most of it but when i called the bank they said mr barlow we're going to make money when we sell your house and they wouldn't let me move back in and you know my income had dropped so significantly about 90% that even coming up with 1000 bucks a month was like impossible nobody was hiring in construction in idaho the market was full of of people who were unemployed uh, in the construction sectors and housing sectors so there wasn't a whole lot that i could do so i i i called her you know obviously holding back the tears but she just said yeah let's do it move in it's you know do do what you need to do and we'll make space for you 
And, you know, that was the only way that I could think of to be as the least amount of conflict <laughs> within her own home was to find a, she, it was a detached garage as well. So she wouldn't hear us, wouldn't, you know, it, it was a way that we could be isolated, get the help we need, but without being like an ex extraordinary burden on her because it was going to increase some of her bills, but, you know, whatever we could do to help out without, you know, <laughs> making it unbearable, we were ready to do. So was it difficult because at that time you were already a husband and, and a father, right? So how, how easy or how simple was it for you to maintain your own sovereignty? Mm -hmm. You ask for help, you're now physically and, and, and physically secure and physically safe at your sister's house. Was it challenging for you to be that person of sovereignty in your household? It was hard. You know, I'd always been someone who tried to do their best. You know, I would outwork anybody. When I told somebody I'd finish a project uh, and I gave them a date, I finished that project. If it meant staying up nonstop, I would do it. I always wanted to be a man of my word. And, and here I had no money. You know, most of my bills were paid. This was the most difficult time for me, I think, more mentally. Yes, I had a physical sovereignty, but mentally I was in the darkest places you can imagine, you know? And for me that when you're not mentally healthy, you look at things like, hey, I have a $3 million life insurance policy and I can take care of my family. Like that? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I know that doesn't sound right to a normal mind, mm -hmm. but when you're not completely functioning in a healthy manner, that makes logical sense, right? It's simple. Mm -hmm. Your family will never worry again for money, right? Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is take myself out of the picture. You know, my life insurance policy, and you, and you, sh <laughs> you shouldn't know things like, I have no suicide clause in my life insurance policy. You know, you shouldn't know those types of details. But, you know, I was fully aware that 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 was an option, you know, it was a choice and it puts, it would take care of my kids forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I had those moments where, where I, uh, where I literally was trying to contemplate the pros and cons of doing this agent had told me about other people, you know, that had done this and that it was the saddest thing, you know, that he has to do is drop off checks for people, you know, who've, who checked out. Yeah. And, but for me, I grew up without a father, without my real father. So in these darkest moments, when it came down to this, this seemingly horrible decision that, that I was contemplating, I remember I just wanted my dad. I didn't need money. I didn't, I didn't need to grow up with anything. I, I could have lived on the streets uh, if I had had my dad, if I had had somebody, you know, who was going to lead my way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough when you don't have someone filling that role. And for me, I didn't have somebody filling that role. And so I didn't want my kids to grow up without a father. And that, that's where for me, yeah, at the bottom, I had nothing and I could provide something, but I had to restrain because it was going to have to come for me. I was going to have to solve all these problems on the inside mm -hmm. and then go out and, and make something happen in the world itself. And mm -hmm. I didn't know where that was going to come from. You know, that, that was my rock bottom. I had a choice to make to, that I could make sure they, they had college, housing, everything paid for, or I could go out and figure out from nothing how to recreate that for them myself. 
and with the universe or God or whoever you believe in, like, you know, something animated the inanimate. And I needed that source to help me through this. And, and that, that was all I had myself and, and, and whatever powers that, that are beyond, you know, the, the, the visible to, to come to my, my aid. And so that's, that's where I was at that time. That's, that's the, the mental situation. Physically, we were safer than I was mentally. You know, the marriage was not at a place, you know, finances are one of those things where divorces happen. Mm -hmm. And we started the process. We didn't, we didn't file any paperwork, but we got the paperwork out and filled out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I remember thinking, man, like even that part, I felt bad as like, here, we're like, we're struggling. And this is when I, this is when we decided to check out and I didn't feel good enough. I felt like, you know, like she, she could, her family could take better care of her and she would find somebody who was successful. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't this whole, like we hate each other thing. It was more of me just feeling so insignificant and incapable that I didn't deserve, you know, them. And, you know, so it was, it was a very difficult place mentally. I would cry in the shower so my kids wouldn't see me crying mm-hmm. and they wouldn't know that, that I was crying. You know, they wouldn't know that I had no solution. You know, I just had to try to put on a good face, you know, I would drive my truck down the street and park it, you know, cause I couldn't afford the gas. So I would, they would think I was working and, but there wouldn't be any work. I would take jobs whenever they appeared and they'd be the worst kind of jobs, you know, that stuff that because of my, I have eczema, so I wouldn't, I would never do insulation, right? Cause it itches, it hurts your skin, but I would do insulation. I was installing you know, vapor barrier and crawl spaces, insulation and crawl spaces when fixing plumbing leaks or whatever, whatever little job I could get. And it was almost like once a week, I'd get a little job and it'd pay like a hundred bucks. And I go, I would fill up my gas tank so I could work again. I would go buy food and I pull out $10 to pay an outstanding bill that I had for one of my contractors and, and pay him 10 bucks towards this $2,000 bill. I thought it'd never pay off. And 10 bucks at a time, I'd show up and just be like, here, I, I'm here to pay my bill. And, and one, one day the secretary yelled at me, <laughs> she's like, do you know how many people like didn't pay us and robbed us? And, and you're bringing me $10, like, give me something significant. <laughs> and I called up the owner and I was like, Hey man, I want you to know that I appreciate you. Everything you've done. You know, when I called you and I needed gutters installed in my houses, you showed up and you did it. And we had a contract, whether written or verbal. If I called you, you came, did the work, and I paid you. And, you know, and here we find that I am the one who's in breaching contract. You know, you installed some gutters, I sold the house, and you didn't get paid. And there, there, was, there was another builder involved, and so there was that I had paid 40 grand to, to, to finish off paying the bills, and he didn't pay everybody, he kept the money. And so, you know, we had to work through that, and this is the one bill when it all came through that I, that wasn't taken care of. And I was like, I'm admitting I'm at fault here and you can take me to court. You could add on interest. You could do, you know, whatever you need to do to feel secure. But I'm telling you that I've always been a man of my word and I will pay you even if it's $10 at a time till this is even, you know? And I said, and today I walked in to pay a payment, which I've been doing like every other third week. And your secretary just yelled at me and I was like, you know, belittled me and I, and you know, I'm going to pay this, I'm going to pay this debt. You know, I want you to know that. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily upset that she yelled at me, 
But I'm, I want to reassure you that I'm not all these other guys that didn't pay their bills. And, and he actually took her and removed her from being a face-to-face -face worker, you know, employee, and put her more like behind the scenes because he's like, I can't have somebody doing that. Sure. Um, I can't have somebody re representing that way. And, you know, I'd even told him this story because when he first started doing gutters for me, he was dirt poor, long hair, sure. you know, just looked, had this beat up truck and all they had was this gutter machine on the back of a beat up trailer. And now, you know, fast forward, he's got five crews. He's got really nice trucks. He drives a Mercedes, nice house. He looks as clean cut as anybody out on the street. Looks like a very successful businessman. That's the transformation that he had accomplished in his own life during that time. And, and here I found myself on the flip side, absolutely poor and destitute, you know, asking for his help and leniency. And, you know, and he, he called me up and asked me to come into the office, showed me a stack of unpaid invoices um, from contractors. He's like, I will never get any of that money back. He goes, and you're not in that book. He goes, you're over here in this book you know, that I have that's got invoices that people are paying on and, and making good. And he's like, I appreciate that you're paying your bill. And I'm sorry that, you know, my secretary and you had that, that exchange because you're not one of those people who's, who, who sits in, the, in this book of bad business. And he's like, I appreciate what you're doing. And it's, it's, we both know it's not a significant amount of money. At the end of the day, 2000 bucks doesn't change anybody's life. But he's like, it's what you're doing that changes people's lives. It's what you're doing that changes the way people think. And he's like, even myself, to watch you come in and pay this 10 bucks because that's all you got, but you're doing it anyway. You could go spend it on food. You could go spend it on gas and justify not paying this bill. You know, you could file for bankruptcy, and which is not, I didn't have to, but I, I, I ended up paying off that bill. And, you know, and it, and it said a lot more for me, like gave me a lot more strength than me over that, the two years that it took me to do that, you know, but it's, it was me being able to hold on just to the little bit of my character of that successful person, you know, who, who was able to always pay his bills. So I, I appreciate everything that you said, first of all, Dane, and thank you for really showing us that dark space that you had talked about. And I think for all entrepreneurs, we, definitely can relate to everything that you share. Maybe not exactly the same circumstances, but that mental space. So I wanted to bring us back a little bit to your that moment when you decided to go for jiu-jitsu. But let me first do a recap. You had said you were in that mental dark space. You were even contemplating, even planning suicide at that moment as a way to provide for your family, right? you were the marriage wasn't going well and you were uh struggling to even pay a bill of two thousand dollars so but you remember that your kids needed a father so that was the light however dim however small during that darkness time right and then and then you also appealed to a higher power and that helped you through the way but Back in 2009, you started asking yourself this question of if I were gone tomorrow, what significance, whose lives have I changed? And that also now provides the next milestone. Is that an accurate recap of what has transpired? Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, that was where it came to like, how do you, you know, this world, like 
we're, we're, it's just us. We're supposed to live in balance. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like everything does that, but humanity. Right. And, and I wanted to be part of the balance, you know, but on the, the, on the good side, because there's both sides. If there's going to be balance, you're going to have good and bad, but I wanted to leave things better than I found it. And I wanted to know that people could, could reach out if they needed, you know, a hug or help or mental or physical, whatever it was. I didn't want people to be afraid to ask, you know, it was, it, I was confronted with that. You know, we, we should ask and see what we can do and those resources around us. And, but that's very accurate. And that's, you know, my son, he, he decided he wanted to train karate. Everybody, like all the other kids at school were talking about it. And he's like, oh, I want to do karate. And now, I was like, well, this, this is before jujitsu or this is after? Yes, this is how we get to jujitsu. Okay, got it. So I was like, man, I remember I, I did karate and all these other things growing up. But what really taught me about fighting was, and life was wrestling. You know, I was like, what's like wrestling? You know, what's like wrestling that's also like karate? And I thought I should look into jujitsu. And so I, I looked up, I Googled all the, the little gyms in town and, and I went and stopped by one and I, and I watched them training. And I thought, I just felt this, this is this, it reminded me watching this coach with his, his, his fighters was like, was like seeing high school again, like wrestling, a team. Dudes that were beating the crap out of each other, but at the end of the day, they're on the same team and they want to see each other be great and successful. And I could see that happening. And when I saw this coach, this black belt rolling with his, his students, it, I, I almost don't want to say it like this, but it's, it was like watching ballet, like the fluid, the way he moved, there was no way he could be attacked and he could, he could roll through things and just flow and watching him do this physically have flow which as well he did mentally, I was thinking, man, like, this is beautiful to watch. I'd love to do this myself. I need to get my son in here and see if he'll, if he'll like jujitsu. And so I pulled the coach aside and I was like, listen, like, I'll be absolutely honest with you. I don't have the money it takes to train, but I'm, I have enough to do maybe one or two months. I said, so I'm not, if, if I don't have to sign a contract, I will give you the one or two months right now. And as long as I have money, I will just keep coming and keep training and keep paying. But, but I can't do a contract because like I, I know that I'm, I'm only good for two months, like physically or um, uh, financially. I only have two months that I can guarantee that I know I'm okay. And I wouldn't promise you more than I have. So if you'll do that for me, then we'll start training. And he's like, well, you know, you got to, he's like, it's just a set fee. You can come as, and go as often as you want during the, you know, that, those two months. But he's like, you really have to do three, maybe four days a week to actually learn something. And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, like in my head, I'm like, I, I'm smart and I did wrestling and I'm going to be okay. I can, I'll just come in, you know, once or twice. And so I started bringing my son. He loved it. And then I, I offered to help teach some of the kids class so my daughters could go. My wife started going. So this was something now we're doing as a family. It's like something nice. uh, I started it. going so I, I did do like a couple of days a week and, and quickly realized I need to get serious. You know, if I really want to learn this, I'd have to, I'd have to go more. And so, you know, that's why I got my family involved because now we got family time, but we're also having personal progressive time, you know, where we're learning stuff. And, and I started to, to pick things up and learn it, but for four months, everybody beat me. You know, everybody. Everybody what? Beat me. 
beaten. They were all submitting me. All the beginners, people who were beginning, you know, at the same time and who had began like two weeks before me. And I had, I had some wrestling success. Like I was really good. I, I did go to state after my dad had told me that in high school. Like I, I set dream goals and I turned around and first in last out every day in high school and won every match after that until districts. So like, you know, here I was doing it again, trying to rebuild myself and how was I going to pull it off just doing a couple days. And so I dedicated more of my life to it. And I came up with this crazy idea, right? If I could be disciplined enough to be good at jujitsu and learn a new sport and be good at, I could do that with my life or with my career. I could pick anything. Like I truly believe if I could get good at jujitsu and, and then I was losing all the time, I couldn't beat anybody. And moment. So your son inspired you to, to think about, Hey, let me get back to the physicality of things. Then you thought inside of karate, let me do wrestling because I liked it when I was younger. And then you started doing jujitsu really wasn't just to get back in the physicality of things. And that was, that was not, that, that was the goal. And then, then after that, you start to ramp up to dream even bigger. Is that an accurate? Way yeah. To, okay. Yeah. All I, right. I just, you know, when you see yourself like progressing at something, even if it's a little bit, and I usually tell people, don't look back at anything for four months. Like you start something new, you're not allowed to look backwards. Cause if you look back every single day, you're not going to see any progress. It's, it's, it's almost like drudgery, but if you can, if you can hold that off and just give yourself a little space and time, you give yourself four months and look back, you're going to see, I was here and now I'm there. I actually, something's changed. And even though I was still losing, I knew at that point that what I was doing with jujitsu is, was totally different. And I also felt like if you can do, if you can map something out, even discipline on a physical level, that's the hardest thing to do, right? Like not overeat not eat junk food. Like there's all these simple rules about the physical part of who we are, but every discipline that we accomplish physically proves that we can do the same emotionally, uh, mentally, you know, the non-physical. And so I was relating that I, I could transform my whole life on jujitsu. Like if I could do this one thing right and different, then I could do everything different. And I just simplified it for my own mind, like just said a really basic thing, but it still wasn't. I mean, my dream goal was to change my life, right? I'm going to change my life. I'm going to save $10,000 and change my life. Well, I couldn't even put together two nickels. We'd gone through every couch. We looked for every spare change possible. And our splurge was to go buy a two liter of cola and split it on the weekend. You know, if we could find extra change. And so we went many weekends without anything, you know, it was like, there, there was just nothing, you know, for Christmas, somebody knocked on the garage door and left a food basket. Somebody mailed us a little tiny Christmas tree and some gifts that we could exchange, you know, uh, Thanksgiving, same thing. Somebody left a box of food and, you know, like that was powerful. That was those, those little things were huge for us at that time. So jujitsu or where should I <laughs> yeah. So real quick. So you weren't by yourself. You already had a support network and community and um, people may or may not have shared their compassion, their acts of charity by leaving you food and so forth. So I would say let's actually continue on with the jujitsu because I was for someone who is going through this right now, this is definitely hitting them on the spot, right? So actionable 
steps that they could potentially take is, all right, so let me do what? Pick a sport that I can get active in or let me get in touch with my community. How would you concretize that in terms of getting them okay. out of yeah. the, 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 the dark space that they're in? What kind of step-by-step -step way can they dig themselves out of that dark space mentally? Okay, the first thing, you know, and, and I, want, I want to relate the current with that time because mm -hmm. this is where we find our, ourselves slash no, I, there is nobody in this market right now. If you didn't, if you didn't cash out before this hits, you have things in fluctuation mm -hmm. and, and I don't care how successful you are. If you lost a bunch in the market right now or this or that, like we, when your when your goals are financial and you hit those numbers and that's where your self-worth comes from, mm -hmm. like you're hurting right now, you know? Mm -hmm. And if your success was on building some foundation, a gym or an academy, and now there's nobody who can even come to your academy or your business, you're, you, you, there, it's all unknown, right? Mm -hmm. And if I could go back and change one thing, it wouldn't be all my suffering. It wouldn't be even the mental games I had to play. It wouldn't, the, the only thing that I would go back and change is, is I'd say, hey, Dane, you can't control any of this. Mm -hmm. You know, you where somebody, and I, and I run into people all the time, doctors right now that are not working. Mm -hmm. And they're calling me up saying, I finally get it. I understand at least an ounce of depression. Like I laid in bed all day on Saturday, you know, doctors, and they'll say things like, I have had control over every aspect of my life, my education, I planned everything. I, you know, I built my business and my practice. Mm -hmm. I've done everything and I was able to control it all in a, in a somewhat fashion just by working hard even and here i find myself i have no clue what's coming tomorrow mm -hmm. and i can't even get out of bed and you know my advice is well take a shower mm -hmm. and shave mm -hmm. and go out and mow your lawn mm -hmm. you know do do one productive thing right and so what it is is that any amount of goal or, or anything we set for ourselves is based on a set of, of tasks, mm -hmm. right? It's not just a vision. Vision requires actionable events. Mm -hmm. And so for me, doing jujitsu was a way to take an act actionable event that had these challenges, right? There was physical challenges, but a physical challenge I, and, and a path from a coach who can say, do this, 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 this or I see you making this mistake or that mistake or this, right? I realized here's somebody I could count on, on in a physical way, teaching me a new sport. And every problem I had, he could provide an answer to, right? With tasks, go do this, just practice that. And I remember saying, man, I'm gonna forget all my wrestling. Wrestling's holding me back. The fact that I was successful at wrestling and I think that's gonna save me in the jujitsu world Wrestling was like checkers and I was playing chess. You mm -hmm. don't play, you don't bring your checkers pieces to a chess match. It's not going to work. And what and I'm hearing also is keeping a beginner's mind because if your cup is already full, then the world of all of the, the coaches knowledge and wisdom and insights around jujitsu wouldn't be able to come in. Is that accurate? This is this, th that is like, I mean, if you could put a huge banner, <laughs> in everybody's household right now who's struggling, mm. it's, that, it's that very simple part. I don't care who you were in the past, mm -hmm. 
we are all the same right now. We are all struggling the same. And it's 97% of Americans are in this struggle right now. Even that upper 5%, or if you look at the 80-20 rule, that upper 20% has been cut into three quarters. It's really only the top 3% who are unaffected completely by this. And the rest of us are all in the same boat. We're all the same. So are you teachable? Are you willing to make it basic, right? Step all this stuff down. Let's take all the ties off and the fancy watches and what your cars get very simple and basic and look at, at where you're at and say, can, can I be in kindergarten again, right? The kindergarten of life. Can I just start over? Can I just simplify everything to, to just a very small portion to listen to someone say, hey, here's how you escape this or that. Here's, here's that little step that you need from here, right? Oh, I got it all figured out. I don't need any help. I'm going to do just fine. You know, what I realize is that when people offer you help, all they want is for you to accept it. Let me buy you lunch. Oh, no, no, I got my part. They just want to buy you lunch. And when you don't take that help or when you say, oh, I can cover myself, like you just denied that person their happiness. Mm -hmm. It's not, oh, I can buy you lunch and look at me because I can buy you lunch. No, this is somebody saying, I have the means to, to offer a little bit of help right now. Mm -hmm. And if you accept it, I'm fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, coaching or anybody, anybody out there who's got something for you, just listen, you know, and say thank you mm -hmm. and and receive the gift. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, I got a box of food for you. Oh, you know, we're fine. I got. No. Open your hands and say, wow, wow, I really appreciate this. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Right. If you didn't if you don't need it at the time and somebody hands you that gift, you you receive the gift. Mm -hmm. Now, w with your stewardship, what are you going to do with that gift? Can mm -hmm. you bless the lives of others? Maybe you know someone who's struggling. And mm -hmm. maybe receiving that gift is because you know that the universe is pointing another direction, saying because of that person, you can now go help this person. Right? So mm -hmm. it, it, it's a lot more simple than we truly think. But, but just dropping your pride and receiving those gifts and saying, you know, I'm going to forget everything I think I know and approach life, you know, approach this situation fresh. Like this is a brand new college 405, you know, or 308 or whatever course this happens to be in life. <laughs> right. you know, this is a doctorate in life. You know, we're, we've done all these things. We've seen success, failure, success or whatever it is. And here we all find ourselves equalized for a moment. All right, so we're all starting the class the same. And, and I meet with doctors all the time in larger groups, and I'm like, listen, if I lose it all today within a year, I will be successful again. I'll be right where I am because I've done it, because I know how to set the goals. I know how to look for opportunity. I know how to set the tasks, and I'll fight harder than anybody else in this room. And I find that there's these doctors that this is all they know. So you start to take that away from them. You start to take away some of their success or, or their vision, and you limit them and they get scared. They're like everybody else. They're scared now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't have to be scared, but, you know, they believe they can't, they can't change or be something else. You, you could be, decide you hate dentistry. You could decide you hate 
seeing patients and you want to do something else, build houses, you know, and, and you could completely change things, but, but they don't always know that, that it took them all this time to build it. And what I realized that every time you build something, the second time is faster. Yeah. It's like, it's scalable. It's like, I take all the things I knew last time, right. With the new knowledge and things I'm picking up and maybe the coaching I'm picking up. And now you apply that and it's, it's, you're going to hit that thing way quicker. You know, it's like, if I told you to go to Brazil and, and you live in the United States, you basically know where it is. You're going to look where the sun is. You're going to start walking that way, right? Maybe bumping around and eventually you'll end up in Mexico and you just keep going until the sun goes overhead and then it's behind you. And Brazil's like one of the biggest countries in Latin America. So if you keep bouncing, you're going to find it. You can ask for directions along the way even. Right. Or so, so, so quick question there. You had earlier mentioned, you know, on a way to find certainty, a good way to, you can start with micro commitments, like getting out of bed, making your bed, brush your teeth, things like that, right? Waking up at a specific time. Then you found jujitsu as a way to have coach to guide you step-by-step towards mastery in that realm, in that physical yep. So now, again, I want to bring it back to something that's actionable. So now you can't do jujitsu per se, right? Because of the you know social distancing and yep. all that stuff. So knowing what you know now, what ways, let's say I'm a dentist, let's say I have a martial arts studio, right? And my business is over for, for, for the time being, what mechanisms would you recommend them to find certainty? at this moment. So there's a lot of people find, you know, help through yoga. Okay. Stretching. I would not stop stretching. You know, you, you, if you stop moving is when you get old, you know? And so whatever age you are, you got to keep stretching. You got to keep doing things. You can still run. There's still activities that you can do with your family and kids. Like if you have kids that are old enough, and they're within your small group of whatever number of people that you're that you know are quarantined and safe then train with them or play little activities with them we're setting up badminton in the yard and we got some volleyball set up for the kids and you know we're running around and and still doing things and so yeah it's not jujitsu and it's not this competitive sport that i can go find some random person see who's the best right Mm -hmm. but i do have people around me who are still active and I don't have to stop. So minimally get active, stretching, yoga, badminton, volleyball. But let's say I have that. I'm continuing to run or do pull-ups and so forth. But I do want to have a master, a guide, a, a, a sensei to help me on my path of mastery. Is there anything specific, given that you're a top competitor, anything that you would recommend them to look into? If we're, are we talking sports or just life in general? I guess life in general, because, but, okay. but sports specific, because. So you, here's you, where, where I always start mm-hmm. uh, uh, any task or any new set of goals. You know, I was going to do it with jujitsu first to build my belief. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now, everybody knows the extent of their belief. They know the extent of what they think is possible and what's currently impossible. Right. And, and it might be that making a dollar today as profit is to them seemingly impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you make it simple, but if you were to have a dream goal, what would your dream be? 
Mm -hmm. right? If you could make anything happen over the next eight years, 10 years, three years, two years, one year, what would be the one dream goal that you could set, even if it's impossible, even if it was impossible? But then if you look at that and you say, well, you know, what would it take if, you know, if a dream goal was, was possible, what would I have to accomplish over whatever period of time or whatever series of events, right? For me, being ranked number one or winning a, the world, the gold medal in worlds, right? This, this was my, to be number one, there's two paths, right? You got to score enough points that you occupy rank position number one for a period of time or you have to get the gold medal in worlds, right? It's that simple. There's only two paths by points or by and holding that position or by winning at worlds. And, and here's the thing, like the world championship, those same guys, do you know how many times I saw the same guys on the podium? Like if, if I don't care what your career is or what you're doing in the world, you're going to start noticing it's always the same dudes. It's always the same guys that find their way to the top. Right? So for me to declare to a bunch of doctors, I could start over right now and do it again. You know, I found the podium and I know how to, to get on that podium. Every time I was went from being a white belt, blue belt, you know, purple belt, brown belt, black belt, I've always found a way to the top of that podium, right? And, and that's by setting those goals, finding those tasks, doing what is required. And, and as it gets more difficult, the, the type of goal and the, and the discipline requires does become more difficult. But you don't just say, I'm gonna be a world champion and, and there, you're there, you, you look at, okay, well, I should win Pan Ams, I should win Europeans, or I should win, you know, a, a more regional event, a national event, a local event, right? If you're not the best in your state or city, you know, how are you ever going to be the best in the world? And so I, I take that dream goal and I start looking at what impossible tasks it's going to take, right? Until I finally find one that I'm like, well, you know what? If I do this, this, and this, I can actually do that. I could win my, my state. I just need to find out who's good in my state, and I need to see what they train or what they do, and I, and I just need to do this, this, and this, and I think I can win state, right? I just, just found a way that I could actually believe in part of my goal. So right? quick, quick interjection. So you found an arena you want to play, in, in your case, it was jiu-jitsu set a high goal and then you chunk it down from state to city. Then you look at who the top people in your city were. And then you were looking for ways to basically beat them and stand, stand on that stand. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So real quick, right? So in the world of information overwhelm, there's 5,000, 500,000 different ways to get to that stand. How did you discern who, which signal to take in and which ones to ignore? You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So because I'd had some previous <laughs> experience with, with wrestling, I knew that I needed to be in a proper weight class, right? If you're at the same skill level and that dude's just way bigger than you, it's not, it's not going to be equal, right? And yes, they do say in jujitsu, you can, the equalizer is the skill, the talent, right? You learn how to be the smaller man, you can beat a bigger man. But I'm telling you, if all your skills are absolutely equal, the bigger man, the stronger man is going to win. You know, you have to be extremely clever on a mental level to overcome that. And so you have to understand what you can control and what you can't. And so for me, you know, it was, all right, I got to lose weight. Okay. I lost 40 pounds. 
that's not insignificant. It happened over 90 days, okay? That's, that's me saying I wanna do something and I can control this tiny aspect. I'm not gonna eat junk food, sugars. I'm gonna cut back on bread, right? Just through these simple things and exercising every day, I lost 40 pounds, you know? And I got to a weight that I was comfortable in in high school. You know, and I thought, and I did even say, I feel a little bit small. I was 164 pounds. I was like, I think I want to be about 175, 180, right? Which is a middleweight, right? That's the middleweight. I'm six foot tall, middleweight. Okay, there we are. About a, a pretty average height. Uh, and that's a pretty average weight because they call it middleweight, right? So that's where I determined I needed to be is a middleweight. And then, you know, and then I said, okay, well, what, what am I bad at? right? I get choked out a lot. So I, I decided every day when I sit down on the mat, the only thing I'm going to do this month is let everybody start from my back, right? They're going to, they're going to be seatbelt, right? Which just means they're sitting, they got their legs around me and they're hugging me from behind. And every time I started every match, I started at, in that deficiency, right? And then I would ask my coach, okay, well, what do I need to do here? Cause I'm struggling at this. And, and he'd give me a couple pointers. So quick question there, because there's two, school, two schools of thought. One is double down on your strength. The other is, hey, let's focus on your weakness. And the example you just gave is you knew that you were deficient by being, you know, your, your easy, you know, your weak game. Yeah, easy target. Your easy target for, for being choked out. So you work on your weak spots. You brought that out for for a bit. What's what's your take about doubling down your strength versus strengthening? Okay, and <laughs> so you're really good at what you do. <laughs> I congratulate you for that because you're jujitsuing the the conversation as well. But that's a, that's an important aspect. And if you wouldn't know how to pull that out, then how would we share that with people? And and I and I truly believe that if you are good at something, you pay someone to do the things you're not good at, right? Focus on what you're the best at, because for me, like it could be making teeth, right? If, if I'm making teeth and they're going out the door, we're making money. But if I'm doing model work, which is super slow, and, and one of the most important things you can do like in, in prosthesis is have great model work. It's like foundation, right? If you don't have a good foundation, you know, you've got nothing. And so in order for me to make money where I, I make the most money, I had to be involved in the art portion of what I do, which is making the final product, making beautiful teeth, cosmetic uh, enhancements, right? So I had to find somebody that I could teach to do model work my way, which was really well, and then pay them well to do that for me because it slowed me down, right? Or if you just don't understand or don't want to do books, find a, a person who's really good at books. I know doctors, a lot of them are very logical thinkers. They're not marketing people, right? Hire a marketing person to do that and pay them well to bring you success. So just because you're the best, you know, hand skills and uh, amazing at, at putting in teeth as a doctor, like you may not be the best at making the teeth, find a great partner who's great at making teeth. So in any portion of any business, do what you're the best at but find people to surround yourself who are also the best at other things that you need. You don't have to be, you shouldn't be the best at everything. That's micromanaging. Like you should focus on something that you're the best at. It could be, I know CEOs who are very much the general type, right? They have the vision and they have the ability to organize people and, and send their, their, their generals out to work for them in the best way possible. 
find those generals, right? If you have to be a general who handles a certain portion of what you do, maybe you're the Navy, but you need your army and, you know, you need the Marines and, right, you need these other people around you, go find those great people and, and open the doors of success for them by, by building teams, right? Teams, jiu-jitsu, a jiu-jitsu team, it's exactly the same. These are just teams. Almost everything in life I could compare to jiu-jitsu, right? Jiu-jitsu isn't just a way of life, like it is life. Like, let me take you in, and in a month of jujitsu, I'll tell you exactly who you are in life. Do you mm. cheat? Do you, mm. you know, steal? Are you uh, charitable? Are you prideful? You know, are you worst, your worst enemy, right? Everything you do in life, you can reveal that, or a person is revealed in jujitsu. And I would also say in wrestling and many other sports, like how you do things uh, in a disciplined manner or without discipline, right? Without restraint or with restraint, every part of that action reveals who someone is. When times get tough like this, right? We're gonna find out who people are. We're fine. I mean, I've been in a couple of board meetings already where I was like, oh my gosh, I now know who that person is. I can't believe, I finally hear they've revealed themselves in this great struggle. And I'm like, I can't believe you know, that all along I, I thought that this person was a certain way and here they are sitting on, on this point where we have to come together and they're obstructing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when, we, when it comes to the point of, hey, all right, what do you want? Mm -hmm. We're gonna do what, the rest of us are in line. So you tell us what you want, and we'll step in line with you. Mm -hmm. And they had no solutions, no answers. We're ready to convene the meeting, right? And, and somebody was going to make a motion to end the meeting and I raised my hand. I was like, uh, okay, I see where this is going. So I want everybody to know that first of all, I'm ashamed that as this group and this time in this world, we can't come together in an emergency meeting to make an, uh, to come to a solution that our members need. Mm -hmm. And I said, I am willing to stay on the phone right now in this conference webinar call, the board meeting, emergency meeting. I'm willing to stay on this call until we come to an answer, even if it's all night long. I will stay all night long to make sure we come to a solution now. I will just stay on the phone until we come together. Because if we don't, when are we gonna fix it, mm -hmm. right? We may never have a face-to-face -face meeting with our members ever again, right? Mm -hmm. It was required in our bylaws to have these meetings, right? That they would have elections and, and vote for new board members. And now we can't have a face-to-face -face meeting. And we didn't have anything in the bylaws to allow for virtual meetings, right? So here we find ourselves with a whole brand new set of circumstances. And, and there's a couple of people who are feeling a little bit obstructionist, but without any answers or solutions. And so by just saying, I'm going to do this, I will stay on the line. Suddenly another person, you know, I second that motion. I'll stay on the line. And then another one, and then another one. And then you realize, hey, you know what? I'm surrounded by people who want to get to an answer. And it doesn't mean that the two people who didn't want to agree on anything don't want an answer. It's just, you know, we're being short-sighted in our vision. And I'm saying I'm willing to do what it takes to open my vision, to expand my understanding until we can all come together. And then I found out, you know, by just voicing that, there were other people on that call that felt the same way. And maybe they just weren't ready to raise their hand or didn't know, you know, they're feeling a little bit powerless. We're all dealing with something big right now. And so this seems small, like we're having this meeting and here's my family. I should be with my family. And, and I'm thinking, that, you know, yeah, me too. So let's stay up all night. Let's get an answer tomorrow. We can stay with our families. 
And, you know, we came together and within five minutes of that, a unanimous decision where everybody was in agreement. You know, we almost ended that meeting, you know, so be aware of those. There are people standing around us who are in the same situation, who think and feel the same way and are ready to take the same actionable events, right? I'm going to go be world champion. And hey, Dean, will you take me with you to compete? Mm. You know, I went, I went, I fought my first match, my first tournament, I won it. And then I was like, I, I feel like I need a season. I started researching every tournament. And then I snuck off one day and I did a tournament up in Spokane, Washington. And the next day I was down in, or the following week I was down in, in Oakland at the Oakland Barrier Championships. And then the next weekend I was in Las Vegas. So I, over six weeks, I did four tournaments and I won a gold medal at, at every tournament. So and, real, real quick, I wanna do a recap and then we'll move forward with the, with the world champion you know, strategy of the steps that you took. You had mentioned adversity reveals characters. Absolutely. And then you demonstrated beautifully with the example you gave around paying your vendor, right? Uh, and also around how you show up during this board meeting. I think essentially, and why I'm particularly interested in talking to you, my friend here, is also because of your competitive sport experience. Because very, very few people understand what it means to be physically pummeled. Yeah. Or, or, or There's get, a reason I sent you the photo I did. Yeah, to get choked up. It's easy to, I think Mike Tyson said it best. He says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? It's very easy to be a uh, armchair coach and say, yeah, you know, Dane, you should have done this and that. But when you're in the middle of that ring, being punched and being choked up, in those micro moments is when you're exerting or we experiencing adversity and what you do with it, you can either just say, fuck it, let me just yeah. tap out or let me persevere. But there is a judgment call, right? Because if you really push your body, you can break something and permanent damage and all that. That's not good either. So there is that balance there. So saying all that, a uh, quick recap around this is Bring back to jujitsu. Uh, what I heard you said about double down your strength versus uh, fixing your weaknesses is that you knew that that was a Achilles heel. You get tap out easily, so you want to make sure that that's not an easy target. So you get, you'll cover at least your baseline. Then you can double down on your strength, your size, your nutrition, your body size, and all these your power. Or is that is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right, great. Then. Now you are using jujitsu as a way to, oh, right. So, so now you're going about to four different competitions in six weeks, higher repetition, higher feedback loop, correct? Yep. You have a game plan and that's the way that you get better very, very rapidly. So you started 2009, you get your black belt when, and you started competing when? I started competing in... So 2009 actually was, I was dirt poor from 2009 till, I think I didn't start jujitsu till 2010, almost 2011. So I was living in that garage for two years. Okay. And, and, and then it took me five years to get my black belt. That's really short um, amount of time, by the way. Is that correct? That it should take you 10 years. Right, right. So you you like did it in half time that most people would have taken. 
and not just you got your black belt. So you started competing before your black belt. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, good. So you started competing at a higher, higher level, even before you got your black belt. And then when did you get worlds? Like, you know, that rank, was rank. 20, 2017, I believe was the last time I competed. Okay, so 2009, and then, sorry, you started 2011, five years after that, so that's 2016, and then in one or two years, yeah, there you go. got your... 2016, yeah. So in one or two years, you went from black belt to world. So, and that, so here's the thing about jiu-jitsu and why I competed early. Jiu-jitsu is a, a sport where you, they break it down to weight, age, you know, everything is broken down so you can, there's no more honest sport out there, I believe. So every, it, no matter, I was competing against the young guys and the old guys in the same tournaments, right? I would be, I would, I would beat all the, the 24, 25 year olds. And then I would go fight all the 35 year olds. Right. And so you know, because I figured at Worlds, you're going to fight so many matches. If I'm not used to fighting seven or eight matches in a day, how am I going to get there? And so my mental awareness that you have, too, as well. You knew that this is going to be a long game, seven or eight matches per day. So you train yourself accordingly. You were already yes. having the end in mind. This is the direction I'm heading towards. So my world championship came in, in a brown belt, not in the black belt. And there's there's a there's another separation there that I, that I will have to explain because I set all these goals and I, and I, I believe you have to declare your goals to someone that matters. Right. And at the time, the closest person to me was my coach, you know, and I just said, listen, I'm going to reinvent my, myself in jujitsu. And then I'm going to go do the same with my career. I'm going to become somebody in jujitsu and then I'm going to become somebody in, in a career. And, you know, <laughs> and I remember him looking at me like, okay, well, you said it, now do it, right? And so I started competing on those levels. Like my first world championship was in Brazil as a blue belt, you know, and I got a silver medal there. But I hadn't, I hadn't been ranking. I hadn't been doing the competitions that were ranked. So I wasn't even appearing like, okay, that's great. It gives you this many points, but it doesn't put you in the picture of who's at the top. And so after I got my black belt, well, when I got my, my brown belt and I had hit all these goals, my coach just said, you know, you told me that you were going to go become somebody. You know, I've watched you change your career. You became your, your, your everybody goes, you go down to California. It doesn't matter who on our team goes down there. They see the patch and they're like, where's Dane? You know, it's like my first group of fans when I was uh, doing Facebook all the time, like my first 16 or 1700 fans were jujitsu people, right? People who knew me from jujitsu and that's it. That's all they knew. I had people who watched my videos before I competed. I knew that my competitors were watching videos, trying to learn stuff about me. You know, they were doing research. They, they would watch me fight. And, and I had, there were guys who would work on strategy for beating me for like four months. And then we fight and I would do something completely different, you know, and they'd be like, I trained for four months for you to attack from the top. That's my strength. I fight from the top because I was a wrestler. And in his match, I pulled guard, which is to fight from underneath. Right. And he's like, 
I was going to pull guard on you. I practiced the strategy of pulling guard, and all of a sudden, here we're in the, the finals, and you pull guard on me. And one of my coaches in Brazil said, you know, 95% of the time, attack from on top, you will win. He goes, but 5% of the time, you have to be ready to pull guard, and they won't know how to fight you. So when we talk about strengths and weaknesses, right, even in, even in the world of business and finance, if you're not great with numbers, right, and finding algorithms in your numbers or, you know, noticing all the data points, you can hire somebody. But if you don't know enough about the basics mathematically and financially to even walk in the door and say, what's my number, right? For the first time, I had a great office manager, and I could walk in the door and say, what's the number? And she'd say, 30 grand. And I'd say, okay, great. What's, what are the bills? Oh, you got six. Okay, get all the checks ready. I'll sign them. Let's get them out. I would try to pay the bills as fast as they were coming in, but I had to know my numbers. You know, I had to know quickly, okay, what's my overhead? And if I've got 30 over here and I've got this much, and then this month we'll spend X amount, you know, and it could be quantitative. You could come in and say, all right, are we at, are we at a million today? You know, when you're, you know, some, some corporations are huge, but if you don't know the questions to ask and you don't have those basics, that's me saying, I got to learn to not get attacked from the back. I can't get choked out when somebody gets to back. If I can hold on, I can find a way out. So working on a few of your basics, having that little bit of knowledge is what's going to help you remain in position of your dominance. But also when you find yourself in a moment of, of, of great challenge, like what if you can go to that position and they're so awkward, they don't even know how to fight from there, that you're going to a weaker point, but it's because you know that they're not ready for it. You know, your competition isn't ready for it. And so I went into that position and, you know, ended up winning that match. And this is a guy, we went back and forth. I would win against him in the finals. He would win against me. You know, we would always fight. One of them, we were going back and forth for like two years. Uh, we fought a bunch of times. And that's what I mean about always finding a podium. It's the same guys. It's the same guys, you know. So th that's what I was, I was finding out. And... When I ended up getting my brown belt, hitting all my goals, and I was still fighting, and my coach is like, okay, you know, I don't want you to fight anymore. And I was like, what? And I snuck off and I fought one more tournament and I felt guilty. I felt guilty, like I had to keep it a secret. Why do you say not to fight anymore? I'm curious. Because I had told him that I would go become somebody. Okay. Uh, oh, he, he, he thought that was the main goal and, and jujitsu competition was a distraction for that main goal. Is that correct? Jujitsu, because I became so good at it mm -hmm. in a short period of time, mm -hmm. was safe. Uh, I see. If you're doing okay. safe things and you're not challenging yourself, you're not growing. Got it. Okay. 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 Here's somebody who knew what I really wanted. He's like, and you're not going to build a jujitsu academy and get a bunch of associates and you know i'm not building a business of academies and if i was i i could i could and i would be great at it you know building up a whole you know like a huge association even but that's not that wasn't my goal right and he knew that i changed my careers i was making teeth now he's like so why are you the best at teeth yet how, you know? how did you how did you pick that because construction to teeth I mean, that's kind of a big jump. It, it doesn't fit any. So I went to the Department of Labor, right? Because there was the, re, the, the Workforce Reinforcement Training Act or something like that that came out after the recession. And they would pay for you to learn a new, new skills. 
And I walked in and I said, you know, I, I want to change directions. And I found somebody, my neighbor made teeth. Mm-hmm. And I actually had decided that I had remodeled his house. And I was during that time, I was super poor. And he said, why don't I redo your teeth for you? Right. I'd broken all my teeth from sports. And he's like, why don't I redo your teeth for you? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford it. And he's like, well, what if you could? What if, what if instead of paying you for this remodel, I just did your teeth and I found a doctor who would do the work and we document it. We write some magazine articles or whatever. And he goes, and that's how we'd get paid. And then, you know, I'd get paid because you're, you're, you wouldn't charge me for remodeling my house. And that was hard. That represented six months of my income, six mm. months of my income when you're dirt poor. Mm. And when I asked my wife about it, she already knew this is something I wanted to do back when I was successful, back when I had the money to do it and I didn't. Right. Mm. And she's like, you know, why don't, you know, why don't you do it? Like, if you think it would be good for you, then maybe you should think about doing it. And I thought mm. that's the first time, you know, like I thought, wait, I can invest in myself, mm. not just the jujitsu, like my health, but I could invest in myself my physical self mm. and that's okay. Mm. You know, a lot of people struggle with that and I work in the world of cosmetics. So I see it all the time. What mm. you're doing is it's unconscionable. People are cutting their good, their good teeth and they're putting on, you know, these porcelain veneers and <laughs> those poor doctors. There's so many doctors that don't realize that some people don't hurt here, right? They don't have a toothache. Mm. They're either hurting here mm or the hurting of the heart, mm. right? And, and those patients are every bit important to me. Mm. And I realized that I was that type of patient. You know, at this time, there's so many people hurting mm. and, it's, and it's in their heart and in their mind. Mm. They may not have a physical pain other than a heartbrokenness or that empty, hollow, like, dread. You're being followed by dread all day long, mm. but there's nothing you can do about it. So can you set it aside? Can you invest in yourself? Can you find someone to listen to? Can you read the right books? You know, successful people read a book a month at least, 12 to 15 books a year. What books are you reading, right? And they're almost always self-improvement, right? They're almost always, you know, good to great, you know? And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's another good one. I mean, there's, there's so many books on leadership and, you know, what's, things- what's, what, what, what's one book that you have gifted the most to others? <laughs> the book that I gift the most to everyone is Start With Why mm. by Simon Sinek. Yeah. Because my why. I was looking at my hands. I changed nobody's life. Mm. And that's when I saw that, the video for the first time. And then I bought the book. Mm. And I believe that if my why was big enough, right, my product is people. It's mm. not teeth. Mm. Right? I change people's lives. It just so happens I make teeth or it just so happens I teach them how to compete in jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. I realize that when people believe in themselves, their life changes. I've seen, I've seen, I, I had a charity case I did. The guy lost everything, got divorced, was busting tables for his parents in a failing restaurant. So he could hardly charge them anything. He was just living off tips. And I found him in jujitsu and I noticed that he was wearing a, um, denture. And I was like, dude, what happened to your teeth? And he's like, you notice? I was like, well, it's what I do. And I said, someday I want to change. I want to fix your teeth, you know? And, and, and I, you know, I, so 
when I started making teeth, it was because I, I thought, well, why don't I become a dentist? Because this guy changed my, my teeth. And that same day, my wife decides she wanted to go back to school. I was like, oh, goodness. Like, I called her. So I got, I got news to tell you. You know, I was going to tell her I was going to go back to school and become a dentist. And she, um, she's like, well, I got good news, too. So I got home and we're sitting in the garage. I was like, well, what do you got? <laughs> she goes, I'm going back to school. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yay. She's like, well, what did you come up with? And I was like, oh, it's not that good. Was like, that's awesome. I'm really, I'm excited for you. Like, you know, I'll go back to work now. <laughs> so I, you know, we, we put her through school and, and I remember telling her, I was like, you know, you're not doing that for, to help us financially, right? She's like, I know. And I was like, so why, why did you choose to become a teacher? And she said, I want to give back. I want to feel like, like I have a purpose and I'm giving back to people. And I was like, okay, because that's what I wanted. The same thing for myself. And I was like, I totally understand that. That's such a worthy cause that my dream of becoming a dentist, I will set that aside for you to have this experience, you know, to become a, the greatest teacher. She won teacher of the year this year. Awesome. <laughs> and now school, you know, but she finally won teacher of the year and, and, you know, she teaches on such a high level that her math scores, she's a math teacher, mm -hmm. and her math scores are the best in the state. You know, mm -hmm. she's every year they've had increased and improved scores, and, and she's hit the point where it's like, this is impossible. We can't better what we did last year and still pulled it off. Still goes out and talks to other teachers about how she, you know, engages students and gets them actively involved in the process of learning math. And she's great at it. You know, she is every bit the world champion being a teacher as I was at jujitsu or even making teeth. And so in that, I thought, well, what's another way, you know, I could still do this. I don't have to be a dentist. Here's my successful neighbor who makes teeth. And, you know, he lives in a nice house and he drives nice cars. And, you know, maybe I don't have to be a, a doctor. You know, maybe I look at the side of being a, a technician or a prosthesis, you know. And so I pulled him aside and I said, hey, um, if, if I work for free for six months and prove to you that I can make you money, will you teach me everything you do? And mm -hmm. I said, not just how to make teeth, but how to talk, how to lecture, how to write magazine articles, you know, how to communicate. If you're willing to do all that, I will come work for you. I'll leave my business behind. And at this point, I finally built it back. I was making a grand a week. And I was thinking, man, well, this is a good starting point. Like I could build this back now. I'm, I'm making, we're getting ready to move into a house and, and, and start renting. And I had saved my 10,000. I actually saved 20. And I was like looking for opportunity. Like, what am I going to do? I did some, I did several different things and wasn't finding my niche. I wasn't finding the opportunity I was looking for. And, and here, like, it was like the, the, the universe itself was whispering, you know, call this guy and ask him for a job. And I even felt I felt this like as if I'd heard a voice say, do this. And I was, I was thinking, I can't do this. I can't give up where I'm at. I can't go back to living on minimum wage, learning a new career and, and go work for this guy. You know, pride was back, right? I had pride. And here I was confronted with, I had nothing. And it was like the universe was like knocking me down everything that i could have done to escape financially like all the worst case scenarios from embezzlement i had to put seven people in jail like all this stuff was going on i was determined to be without anything right to be rebuilt and and i'm glad that i went through that process of being rebuilt and so here i was like okay i want to i want to start a new career and i had to humble myself one more time and start over again 
And I remember feeling that, that, <laughs> that feeling of angst inside, like, I can't do this. I can't subject myself to more pain after I just did all this. Mm-hmm. And, and I told my wife, I was like, this is what I'm considering doing. Like, I'm going to make like eight bucks an hour to start over again. We got to leave this construction company behind. And, but I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And good question there. You've never done teeth before. You'd work with, you know, physical stuff though, right? So it was more of just the inner calling, inner knowing, and that was it. And then also obviously, you know, having conversation with your neighbor. So it was a curiosity, an inner knowing, and that was it. There was nothing else that. I, I have made a skill out of learning or picking things up quickly mm-hmm. by watching, observing, and um, not, I don't just watch something and say, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Like I will dive into that and research and, you know, emphatically look at every little detail and I'll say, you know what? Yeah, I could do that. Right. You know, if I just do this, 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 and every sport, I always did good at sports, right? I was super competitive. Right. And then, right. The first time my wife takes me ice skating, I'm like, oh, I've never done this before. You know, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't want to fall and embarrass myself. And, and within five minutes, I'm, I'm jumping and doing three sixties on ice skates. And she's just like, <laughs> who is this that. guy? Yeah, you know, yeah. everything you do, you're good at. And this yeah. is something she, she's always told me. She's like, you know, I, I wait for the day you show me something you're not good at. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's almost like a joke when I fail at something where it's like, oh, yay, like the rest of us have hope. Right. And, uh, and it's not that I haven't failed. It's just that failure, failure doesn't stop me. Right. Like I see failure as an opportunity to learn. Right. Yeah. It's not, yeah. you, if you are afraid of failure, you're never going to pursue the unknown. Right. You're never going to push yourself to do anything that that's remotely uncomfortable. Right. And so it's it's not so much of that. I'm good at everything I do. It's that I don't fear learning from what I can't do well. Or mm-hmm. perhaps I might learn in that process that, yeah, I failed, but I built some belief. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this goes into com- competition. You want to have a hard fight. Let mm-hmm. your competitor, your opponent know. Give them a little belief that they can beat you. Right. That they can or cannot. That they can. Make they- a mistake that gives them belief mm-hmm. and they're going to grow a heart 10 times the size you've ever seen. And it'll be the hardest match you've ever had. And that's something I've heard over and over and over again. Dane, either you're the strongest or I've never had, I've never had a championship fight that was that hard. Even if somebody beat me, man, that was the hardest match I've ever had. Right. Because I walked in always believing I had a chance. I just had to show up. Right. Let them be nervous today. I've been here before. I've done all the things it takes. And why? Because let's look at my goals and let's look. I track my goals every day. Right. I, I, I write my goals down and every single day I wake up and say, am I going to do what it takes to accomplish these goals today as I read through them? Right. By reading them, I am saying I'm staging my day. I'm saying this is the focus for the day, right? There's people who pray and do this and that and all these other things. But if you sit and, and you read your affirmations and, and your accomplishments, you sit there and you look at your goals and you build your belief. Here's what I want to accomplish today or over time. Am I doing what it takes today to, to, to do these goals or am I going to take a day off, right? If, if I'm heading to Brazil, I'm going to bounce around and we're going to get instructions or a roadmap or I'm going to buy a flight and just get there fast. Setting goals is the same way. 
So part of your daily rituals is, is what again? So you look at your ultimate goal and then you look at the to-dos of the day and you yep. look for affirmations. Yep. What so else? I, I, so I, I like to look at some of my, you got to be in the right mind frame, right? To build your belief. You can't just be like, I'm going to be a world champion in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? Mm -hmm. You're not, you don't believe it when you say it, right? Mm -hmm. All right. If your why isn't big enough, you're not going to, you're not going to accomplish it. And so if you can't believe your dream goal, then why are you even reading that thing? Like you're going to accomplish it. Like mm -hmm. it takes, so I do like to look at, okay, well, I've done this and this and this, you know, I do things. And then I, hey, I you, you lost me. I done this and this and this. What do you mean? Okay. So with jujitsu, as I, as it progresses or, or be, before jujitsu, let's just say I said I would save $10,000 to change my life. Hmm. I found a way to live in a garage where I could live on 800 bucks a month, right? Hmm. Or less. And the very bare minimums, I found a way to survive when, when it got tough and we're still together. I still am able to do the limited thing. You know, we couldn't do Christmases, but we do little, we'd find somebody would donate us. You can stay in my cabin. And so as a family, we would go do something that cost nothing, but we do it together. You know, we quit celebrating Christmas. We started going on, on trips because we're going to remember adventures. Right? You're not going to remember opening gifts, but you're going to remember taking an adventure with your family. What I found was that you know, we could do adventures and it didn't cost very much, sometimes just gas. And so you know, it's, it's, I, I would look at the things that I had done and I'd even look at my past. And you know, I, I, my father told me I would, would be nobody's hero and I was going to be no good at, at anything. And you know, in that year, I became good at wrestling and I went to the state championship. I got carried off the podium in the district championship. Our team had finally won the district championship for the first time in our school's history ever. All of our great fighters went out, you know, sooner than they were expected. And then I was unranked. I had to fight to get into the district tournament because of those first 10 matches that year I lost. And then I beat all the best fighters, you know, in our district, got my picture in the paper after the first day. And then the second day of competition, you know, went to the finals or the third day. And in the finals, the, the, it was our team was close to winning and the, the, the eight-time championship team, right? The whole district wanted to see a new champion, right? And so I'm fighting this guy and the crowd's chanting my name, right? And I'd love to say that I won that finals match. I, I lost it by a few points. And here, here's how close it is. If I had been submitted or, or pinned in wrestling, or if I had been beaten by enough points for a tech fall, they would have scored enough points to beat us in the entire championship. Mm -hmm. Like I was our last chance at scoring or, and their last chance at scoring against us to, to determine the final team scores. So the tournament wasn't over yet, but there were still fights to go, but we were pretty much the fight that was going to determine who was going to win this match or this tournament. And I, and I, and I didn't get, I just fought with everything I had, right? Just to stay as close as I could to this guy who was, who was state champion multiple times, one of the best. And so I ended up losing and I'm on the podium. I'm getting my medal for second place. And they announced that our team won, that the scores, the final scores for the top two teams, we were ahead by a half point, not even a full point. We were a half point ahead of them. And there were no more fights between the two teams. And it wasn't them announcing the winner, right? They didn't jump the gun, but they just were announcing the current standings. Well, everybody already knew that 
we were the only two at the top, our two schools, and immediately the team came up, rushed up, picked me up off the podium, you know, and started carrying me, you know, back to the stands. And, you know, there's first place <laughs> standing on the podium. Nobody came to lift him off the stand, mm. you know. And so you look at things like this, the successes or good, good things you've accomplished in your life and you start to build your belief. And for me, that starts in the morning. Just, you know, I've done good. I'm a good, I'm, I'm a good father. I'm a great person. And I'm, I'm going to accomplish some things. And this is what I want to do today. And I'll read through my goals. And then I read my affirmations or I can read my affirmations first and then go to my goals. But it's very important that when you're reading affirmations, the things you want to become, that you say it like you mean it, right? That, that, that you are worthy of being that person. And so you have to find out what it takes for you to get emotionally involved in your affirmations. But for me, like, that's what I do. I want to be, I want to be, I would say things like, I'm a great orator and I'm a great teacher right things i hadn't done yet i hadn't taught anybody in, in teeth yet i lecture around the world i i write uh, magazine articles i produce videos instructional videos you know things that that i hadn't even done yet i was talking about like i was the guy who does those things right and it's not you know a champion is a champion even before the day he gets his medal right wait, wait. champion that was, a, that was a really important point please repeat that okay so a, a champion you, has already become that person long before he gets the medal, right? The medal is, and we hear these cliches all the time, right? It's the journey, right? It's, it's not getting the, the, the medal, it's the journey. And if you don't understand the value of the journey, right? Financial success, and then you lose it all, right? You did not appreciate your journey. You did not see that the final number and the outcome wasn't who made you who you are, right? I woke up every day a champion. I was watching my diet and learning everything I could on my level to become the best in the world, right? And I did that repeatedly every day. It was so important for me to, to follow discipline, the most simplest disciplines, right? In the military, it's fold your shirt. Fold your dang shirt. No lint, they clean the barracks with toothbrushes, right? There can be no lint found anywhere. The creases of your shirt must be in the exact same spot. And some barracks learn that this dude is perfect with shirts. That guy knows socks. This guy knows, right? And they band together and let each person do what they're best at, right? That guy who's the best at this comes and does everybody's socks and puts them into their, their bunk you know, or their dresser. And then this guy does the shirts and you know, they, they manage their skills the best way they can so they can all succeed. And, and that's, that's a microcosm of the discipline it takes to be successful at life. When you can handle the little things with great discipline, discipline traverses all of your life, right? If you cut out sugar, bread, soda, whatever it is, then you, what else can you cut out? Drinking, smoking, you know, there's so many more things. Or it could be business problems you have where it's like you, you, you splurge in areas with your business that you shouldn't. And now you understand that the discipline of cutting out what you don't need, especially like right now. There's a, I was called up, <laughs> I'm dirt poor living in a garage. And my neighbor, the successful one calls me up and says, Dan, I watched you learn how to go from making 30,000 a month to $1,000. And you found a way to make it work. I don't care that you live in a garage, this, 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 this. Like you found a way to make it work. He's like, I would, I would appreciate if you can come in and look at my business and teach me how to do the same. 
Mm. And so I came in, I, I poured through his books and started watching, you know, how things were going. And then I looked at all of his finances and we put together a plan. And I said, listen, you don't want to file for bankruptcy. You're going to need to let go of this property and this property and this, this Porsche and this other car, right? I started looking at all of his debts. And I was like, you can sell this off. You can sell that off. I, I think you can take this property and call, call up the bank and offer to give him that property in exchange for your debt. So we just made a huge list of things. And he, and he started calling up banks and negotiating, selling things, and bought a Hyundai um, Elantra, you know, instead of driving a Porsche. He had this, this VW Touareg, which is a $70,000 vehicle, and sold that. Got himself out of all these expenses and even short sold some things and, and, and then gave properties away. And he was able to take his, it required, his business was required to make 70000 a month. And if he made 30000 he just lost $35,000, right? right? And so within this two to three month period of time, we were able to renegotiate contract. So what, what person wouldn't renegotiate a contract just to know your money's still coming in? And so we found ways to do all these creative things. And um, about the fourth month, he called me up and he goes, Dane, I made $35,000 this month. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So you lost 30 in my head. Mm. And, uh, but I knew this wasn't the fact. I knew we had changed a bunch of things. I said, so what does that mean? And he goes, that means I made $20,000 profit. Amazing. So having the discipline to get rid of the, the Porsche and the image and these other things, right. And exchange it for true success. Right. I don't need the image of success. I need to make 20 grand. Mm -hmm. Right. So for him, like setting aside the, the, the visible pride, right, and just running a business meant making $20,000 a month on what would have been a $30,000 loss, right? Making the same amount of money, he went from losing money every month to now making huge chunks of profit that he wasn't probably even making when he had a $75,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was life-changing for him to start to adopt these little disciplines and then realize that that's true success. Yeah, I don't have the Porsche, but I, 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 I maintain my house and I make money every month. I make real money every month. And, and it's not just these, the physical appearance of success. And so we, we have to do the same. We have to adopt these, these little things that we can control every day and put ourselves in the right frame of mind. And then we have to hold ourselves accountable. And that's declaring it to somebody and that's declaring it to yourself in the morning and night. And the reason why I do that morning and night, and, and you know, a lot of people pray morning and night. And now I'm starting to see this correlation, you know, that putting yourself in touch with who you want to be before you begin your day is super important. But then at the end of the day saying, did I do everything it took to be this person today? Mm -hmm. Starts to bring out why maybe in a religious sense that they would have this, this sense of I'm going to pray in the morning and I'm going to pray at night. And this is something I, I even understood with, with religion and, and participating in religion. But on a personal level now, I'm starting to see that the path to success is written long ago. <laughs> you don't have to reinvent it. It's already been done. It's in all the books that you'll read. And, and if you can correlate it, just like I do jujitsu, I realize that jujitsu is life. It's, it could even be seen as a correlation into religion. But understanding a martial art, it's truly an art. And understanding that it is a way of life is understanding that all the things we do in life are interrelated. They're all the same similitudes right the success that you see in the battlefront is the same as the su success you'll see within yourself or within your tangible world of business it's similitudes and if you're willing to push yourself through the learning process 
of understanding similitudes. What does it take for a leader to go through the, this process of similitudes? You know, you're going to have people hate you, hate you for your success. They're going to have people hate you when you, when you fail, right? They might be involved in a, in a co-business or some sort of investment and you're going to fail. It's every investment, every, when I traded currencies, right? It's two step forward, one step back. You have to be understanding that it's always an 80-20 or 60-40 rule when you're investing. And so you're going to lose some of those, right? You can't let it break you when you have a, lot, a, a, a small loss. I mean, we, we're all going to have little setbacks, right? And here's a big setback, right? So what are you going to do now? You're going to get up and, and, and brush your teeth, comb your hair, cut your lawn, and go out there and take on the world? Are you going to take action or are you going to sit and lay in bed? And, and I know what it's like to lay in bed. So when I say that, it's not me judging somebody who's laying in bed right now. No, that's me saying, dude, I sat in bed for a month. I sat in bed and, and I would cry and sit in my bed. And my, you know, like I went through the worst of it that anybody can experience. I know what it's like to be absolutely defeated and have no belief. But I also know what it's like to just take control of the little thing, right? I can do this, therefore I'm going to, right? I can do that. And then you start to realize, well, because I can do these things and I am doing them and I believe that I might be able to do that if I do this, this, and that, excuse me, these three things, I'm going to do these three things because once I've done that, there's no reason why I can't believe that I can have that, right? So it's this incremental goal setting of tasks with goals. You're, you're taking actionable events and goals which aren't actionable. Goals are things generally that you, it's a belief or a, a something you think that, that can be accomplished but it's not a task, right? Doing tasks are, are, are things that you, you can just do. Anybody can do them, right? But when you set a goal, it, it could be a type of task, but it's something that you, you can't do yet, right? Otherwise, it's not a goal. And I see so, a quick, quick distinction. The distinction between goals and tasks is a goal is something that's outside your comfort zone. A task is something that's within your comfort zone. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, it, and, and even a goal is, oh, I've done this before. I've lost weight before. Mm -hmm. But right now, I'm struggling, right? I, I, can't, I can't get my weight where I'm comfortable, right? You, you've done it before. You believe you can do it. But now you have to set the goal because you realize you're not doing the things it takes to be there. Mm -hmm. and, and here's some psychology for you. Most people put on the amount of weight that they can't bear, and then they diet to maintain that uncomfortable weight. Mm -hmm. What they're doing right in the diet would have maintained their weight at a proper lower healthy weight, right? Have they just done the hard things to get their weight down? That maintenance diet that they're doing that keeps them heavy would have been a maintenance diet to keep them skinny. Mm -hmm. And so people, it's like they don't, they don't, they don't want to do the super hard thing, but they're already doing the hard thing that it takes to be successful if they were willing to go through the, the harder steps. And so when we set, you know, when we set a goal, a currently intangible or something just beyond our current belief, something that's uncomfortable and we know we're going to have to work or do something new to get there, right? That's, that's where goals are placed into that spectrum. But a task is these, literally it's like saying, okay, what can I can control today, right? And, and with where we're at, it's like so much of this is out of our control. You can't control it, so don't focus on that. But what can you control? And when I say take a shower, you know, comb your hair, dress nice, you know, put on a button shirt, right? And if it's not something you normally do, try putting on a button shirt today and try smiling in the mirror, you know, practice your smile. <laughs> you know, there's things that we can do. And 
And I, I believe that if you can't smile, for example, at your situation or people in the world, but you're, you look at your smile, it's, it's, hard not, it's hard not to smile and not feel a response. When I, when I go in public, like sharing a smile with somebody else, like you're giving them something and people will smile back. And that's all you have to give today because you didn't have any money, you didn't have this, right? But maybe you can give somebody a smile and you're gonna see them smile back. And it's, it's a lot, it's a very high number of people who will smile back at you. And so what can you do you know, when you're looking at your tasks, it's, these are things that, you know, even if hard, it's something applicable. You have the ability to do this, this, and this today. And so you have to document that. You have to, when you accomplish these tasks, what's your next set of tasks? What's the next set of hard things you're going to have to do that you can do? So let's actually make it very concrete, as, as concrete as possible. We can use two examples. One would be uh, a jiu-jitsu studio right they, they essentially their business is, is gone or we can use a dentist as an example they know that they will have it back when people are back but for the moment for the next few months at least no business so what what kind of advice would you give them in terms of uh, framework mindset and also day-to-day -day task as they're going through this huge transformation in terms of their business model, in terms of a customer delivery, in terms of how they manage their own mindset. Because case in point, they may be in that dark spot, right? Their whole identity has overnight gone. Their entire identity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Their, how they receive themselves is gone. And now they're in financial straits. So they and their spouse may be having higher friction level. They may look at their kids for way too long. And they're like, holy shit, you know, I can't be you know, a parent 24 seven, I need to have a little bit of a long time, you know what I mean? So now everything's compressed on top of each other. What kind of tactical advice would you give? Let's, let's actually make it into a martial arts studio. I think that's probably a little bit easier than a dentist yeah. so or a studio, a jujitsu studio. What kind of tactical advice would you give them so that they can reinvent themselves in this time? Okay. So owning a, a jiu-jitsu academy is no different from owning any other business out there in the world, right? It's subscribers. You have subscribers. And those subscribers pay to have your knowledge um, okay. and even to be in your physical presence. Okay. I would always hear from my coaches, Dane, you need to keep showing up, right? Because people need to see you smile. I was like, what? Like, yeah, he goes, you don't understand. When you get injured and you, and you take time off and go work on your career, like I said, don't compete. I didn't say don't come into the academy. Mm. And uh, he goes, people come and tell me they miss seeing you smile and laugh. Mm. You know, when I come in and play jujitsu, it was, it was playing. Once I was hit all my goals, I would just come in to play with people. It was just, we're just there to be brothers or sisters and brothers and a cause of building our best self. And I was having fun doing it. And if I trapped somebody, I would kind of smile or giggle a little bit and be like, did you see what I just did there? They're like, yeah, I was like, pay attention to those things, right? Mm -hmm. In life, like you get trapped by all those who, who are setting up those traps until you understand those traps. And as you advance through the belts, you realize you quit getting trapped and then you become the person who has to trap other people. And that's the sport. And in business, it's how do I market to get people's attention so they will subscribe? 
Okay, so if I had an academy and I was starting over and I wanted to reinvent myself right now, the first thing I'd have to realize is that this is an opportunity, okay? And when markets are down, this is a buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. When the market just jumped up a thousand the other uh, last week, were you buying in to ride that up? Mm. When you saw it shorting, were you shorting to write it down, mm -hmm. right? Were you watching for Fibonacci? Because this is a psychological transition in the markets. So anytime mm. there's a psychological event, you look for Fibonacci. It's a natural sequence of numbers that are going to bounce through the market. So you can predictably determine where you need to be in and out. And you can even set safe ranges, right? This is an 80-20 scenario when you see Fibonacci developing, right? You start trading. And so a person whose world's been destroyed has to look at the great equalizer just happened and I'm a successful person. So there's an opportunity here to build back out. And what am I going to do to build out? And if I love jujitsu and I don't want to give it up, all right, do you have a virtual audience? Mm -hmm. There is no reason why we're doing this right now. We all have cell phones. Every cell phone has a video, right? You could set that up and do and watch people go through motions. You can okay, still so, coach. So a quick thing. So say I don't have a virtual audience yet or I have minimum virtual audience. What do I begin practically? You know, it, so, could, in, in one's mind, uh, jujitsu needs to be, the, the knowledge needs to be transferred physically. So what kind exactly. of. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to start with, for example, that person may have had 10 students. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are you on the phone with those 10 students? And those 10 students could afford you before. Now, if you're not paying for electricity, you're not paying for a number of things at the studio that would normally cost you money. And you're looking at, you know, you're hit, taking a, a hit if you don't own your building anyway. So you still have to cover your expenses. You have to know what those numbers are. Mm -hmm. But you could call these 10 people up and demonstrate your value. You're still mm -hmm. a coach. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still and the things that are physical are also mental. These people all your students still need you mm -hmm. and they still need that coach. They still need that interaction, right? So I would reach out to those 10 students and say, here's what I want to offer. Instead of canceling your subscription entirely right now, what I would like to is to move to a virtual campus. Okay. And, and they're, yeah, right. I can't do anything physical with that person right now. Right. We're all, they don't know where I've been. I don't know who they've been. We don't want to get anybody sick. We don't know the extent of what we're dealing with. So for now, I want to work with them virtually. And so I have to ask them what they want to work on. And, and I can now extend that into, all right, what are you working on that's outside of jujitsu? All right, if you were doing, here's a great example. My jujitsu coach called me. Mm -hmm. He said, Dana, I'm going back to college. I'm scared to death. I suck at math. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, my coach is calling me. My jujitsu coach is calling me to tell me he sucks at math. Mm -hmm. And I love math. I love math. I love physics, quantum physics. Like I'm, I like science. And I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, he's a mental white belt right now. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Mitch, I go, listen, you're a champion at jujitsu. And you did that be by becoming a professional at jujitsu, right? You approached it systematically. You hired people to teach you when you sucked. When you went and competed, you watched film. You showed that to people who could analyze it, who then said, do this, this, and this. And then you practiced those things and got better. So mm -hmm. I said, why don't you hire a tutor? Mm -hmm. You're a professional now. You're going back to college because you're a professional. So you need to apply everything that worked in jujitsu, right? Everything that construction worker applied that he did well, 
he applied to dentistry, right? A technical field of dentistry where he could build foundations and do finish work and paint, right? I'm now building a house in a, in a bottle. It was teeth, right? Jiu-jitsu is the same. And so the reverse of this is, okay, I'm teaching my coach in jiu-jitsu how to think like a champion in school, right? Mm -hmm. He graduated magna cum laude, was first accepted into law school, right? And, and now he's almost, he's got one more semester left in law school. And he's working, he's working with on billion dollar cases already, right? Why? Because he was a champion at jiu-jitsu. And once we built his belief and said, hey, do this, this, and this like you did in jiu-jitsu and apply it to the world of education and career, I go, you're going to leave everyone behind. And he has. He's, he worked on the Roger Stone case. He worked on a $32 billion oil pipeline deal. And now um, they're doing some work with COVID. But he's also working against 5G in Utah. So, you know, these are big, huge cases that you wouldn't normally be handling in college while you're still, you don't even have your, your degree yet. And, you know, he's just working with these same firms on that and getting paid very well getting paid as much as somebody who's already got their degree and is practicing. And so just to help do research, because the way he does things is the same way he did jujitsu. So let's turn it around. What's a jujitsu guy doing now? A jujitsu guy can coach people in life the same way you would coach them in jujitsu. Just apply the principles of jujitsu to life. Okay. Mm. Now you have to document it. Do you know what nobody does? Mm. You're doing it right now. You're, you're filming and you're documenting, right? You now have a product that you can twist. You could cut this up. You could make something. You could make a certain product about the subjects that we've discussed. You could, you could shorten it. You could realign things. You know, you, you're, you, you, just, you just grab some content. Content has value. So every jiu-jitsu uh, educator out there or coach now has a coaching opportunity to stay in contact with their students they were with before and help them through this. And here's one thing I can guarantee any jiu-jitsu coach out there. But if you coach someone through this hard time now, you have a student for life. Yeah. You have someone who, as long as they can pay the bill, even if they don't go in and train, will be paying you. Mm. Because they're of their gratitude for getting through this difficult time with the help that you provided them. Mental yeah. strength, right, is every bit. Mental jiu-jitsu is as, um, as important as the physical form of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Now, how do you do that? For me, I lecture all over the world on accomplishing goals, setting goals, and you know, understanding, I guess, that level of how to apply aspects into your life, the same way I did with jiu-jitsu, right? The same way I did with construction or making teeth, um, the same way I got on the board of directors for the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry when it's almost all doctors, right? I don't, I don't have my doctorate. So, but, and I can still take a leadership role amongst those people. Um, so question real quick. So getting in touch. So I want to break it down into something that's actionable, right? On, on certain things, getting in touch with your students, ask them, um, Hey, what do you need help with regarding jujitsu or whatever topics you're coaching them with? And, and what else are you dealing with outside of jujitsu? And then make videos and really think about your curriculum along the way yep. in those areas. Practically speaking, so a couple of points, right? How do you then grow your audience? Okay. Um, so, and, so once, and also beyond that, how do you leapfrog your positioning so then you can get to a higher, higher level of leadership? 
So tactically speaking, can you speak okay. on? So when I started jujitsu, uh, I already understood certain philosophies and, and it's psychology. But if you, for example, invite 10 people to mm -hmm. any event, three will come, one will join, mm -hmm. right? If you're a person of character, then those 10 people that you select to tell about an opportunity, three will show up and see it. One of those will join, right? Mm -hmm. And in any group, if I can talk to a hundred people, two will listen mm -hmm. and apply, right? Mm -hmm. They're not just listening. Man, everybody might hear it. A few will listen and then two will apply these things and change their life. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I've already had it happen. I've already, you know, these things are, are very predictable. I've, I've helped a, a very young, poor kid in Mexico from a poor town I was getting paid like $30 a tooth. And he mm -hmm. asked me, Dane, what's the secret? I said, there's no secret. You just work. And I said, and every time you do a $400 tooth, they pay you $35 for the other 370. You just invested in your own education. You invested in yourself because you're worth it. And he's like, what? If they only pay me 35 or $50 for a tooth, I'm going to give them a 35 or $50 tooth, mm. a piece of crud bubblegum glass that I just kind of threw up together real fast. Cause you know, like that's all they're paying me for. I was mm. like, no, 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 no. They're paying you to give them value. And I go, what happens is if you don't build value, that's way over what they're paying. You're never going to be able to approach somebody and say, Hey, I'm worth this. They're only going to see this. Mm -hmm. And so I said, why don't you make $400 teeth every day and document it and start sharing it online and share it with your doctors. And you know, the next person who calls you and says, Hey, I need you to do a tooth for me. You say, well, I'm charging this much now, or I can't because I'm too busy. You've seen my work. It's great work. If you want to push out one of my other doctors that doesn't pay as much, you need to pay me this. And then I will push out someone else and make room for you. And this young man was able to, through a process over three years, which is the same period of time I went from starting dentistry to my first international lecture. I said, there's nothing secret about it. You can do it as fast as me, maybe faster because you've been a dental technician all this time. So he listened, wrote down his goals, right? declared them to me and I think to two other people and then set all these little tasks, right? These are the things I helped them with. And then one of the big things was buying a camera and taking photos, right? Documenting. And he went and did this. And, and then to the point that he now lives in the United States, he's a dental technicians guild member, lectures all over the world, teaches all over the world and, you know, was able to move and change his whole, his family's life. And he makes more than the average person in the United States now. Uh, mm -hmm. But he could work anywhere in the world because he built that skill and talent. So we have to do the same, you know, and if, and if you reach out to those members and you realize I got 10 members, mm -hmm. every one of those people knows 300 people. So if I can get them to invite, you know, 10 people to watch my next live weekly broadcast, mm -hmm. where we're going to talk about jujitsu and we're going to, well, what happens is you're talking about life mm -hmm. and you're sprinkling it with jujitsu. When I go to my lectures, my way in the door was teeth, mm -hmm. but we don't talk about teeth. Mm -hmm. I'll have somebody come up, an old man will come up. This happens all the time. And they'll, and they'll be like, you know what? I've been doing this for 30 years. For 30 years, I've been coming to these meetings and I've been listening to people talk and they show all these pretty pictures. And he goes, and this was the best lecture I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. He goes, and yeah, you know, you threw some teeth up there, but he's like, you taught me about life today. Mm -hmm. You taught me something so much more than teeth that I'm astonished this is the first time I've come to a meeting and I learned so much 
and it had almost nothing to do with teeth. He goes, I, you know, there's people that see through it. I have great pictures and great talents and I can show people how to make teeth. But then when that person walks up and they, they tell you something like that, you realize here's somebody who there's a reason why, like in a biblical sense, they talk about the parables that Jesus taught, right? He taught these things, but that's not what he was teaching, right? So if, if, if you're from that respect or, or even if you're a Muslim and you read the Quran, you look for similitudes, right? religion is a way of life it's not it wasn't like oh oh that's religious and you believe in god or you don't hey this is something that's happening regardless right and we're all participating in it so what are you what are you taking from it right who are the prophets you listen to and they could be malcolm gladwell you know they could be napoleon hill you know they could be great ceos you know that, that we learn from and and it's all the same right the things we're learning are just a similitude so what are you looking past can you look past the parable and see what you can learn from it so a coach can be asking his students to reach out to 10 friends right i need you to reach out to 10 friends and and invite them online and i'm going to send out the links and then they're all going to sign on and only three of each of those 10 students will get maybe three each and some of those won't do as well but you, you might get an additional 20 people on your next Skype, right? Or your next live uh, broadcast. And so of those, you know, that show up, one third of them will join. One third of them. So you, now you have to have a fee structure in place or you continue to do a certain number of things for free. So what we've learned is you have to have 20 points of contact before you can ask, right? This is the, these are the new studies. So you have to know your analytics. You can't maybe even ask those people yet to join and to pay you for something. But you can say, hey, we're doing another one. Please sign on, it's gonna be absolutely free. You know, you can even call them up individually afterwards and, and talk to them about what you're gonna do in the next broadcast and, and invite them to come back, right? You make your 20 points of contact and then you can say, hey, you know, we're gonna build this big. We're gonna help a lot of people. You know, I can't do it alone, right? So I, I'm gonna go through this process as a coach and I need my students and my people who are listening to, to pick up their white belt. And we're gonna go do this together, right? We're gonna go out and change our communities and we're gonna be ready that when this is over, we're ready to go out and help people in the best way we, that we can. And it might be through physical acts, it might be through jujitsu and, and competitions, or it might just through, be through the mental aspects of what we're picking up and learning. You cannot help other people until you can take care of yourself. Mm. So once, once you've built yourself and built your own belief and start to accomplish some things, now you can turn around and teach other people, right? So you have to understand that your why and that the why of your students is much bigger than just jujitsu, right? This, they, and jujitsu students know jujitsu is a way of life. And mm -hmm. so they know that if I'm going to get on and we're going to discuss some jujitsu and we're going to break down some videos, we're going to watch some videos of other fighters and I'm going to teach you what mistakes they're making. And then we're going to talk about the mental aspects of their failure. Right. I can tell you right here because he did this, this and this. He just built the belief of his competitor. And now his competitor is fighting 10 times harder. And you know what? I also know this person's only good for five minutes. So from six to eight, he's in the danger zone where he's weak. And that's why this person lost. Right. It went too long. It went into an area where he lost control. Right. And how did he lose control? Let's look what he does mentally. Let's take the physical part and see what he, what, how that affected him mentally, right? And, and, and if a coach can start to break these things down, their students are going to start to realize, oh my gosh, like the same thing happens in my business or in my life. 
You know, people are just like that. And that other guy in the office who's trying to compete with me in sales, like, this is what he's doing. And when I did this and said that to him publicly, I just let him know that I could be beating my sales this month. And he went out and sold 10 times harder so he could have the number one position this month, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's all these little things. And so if you can talk to your students on that level, invite them and offer them something of value, that value starts to increase. Now you can start to charge for it. Now they start talking about it. Hey, you know, I, I, you can sign up for free, like you can get the first five classes for free, or you can get the archive of what my coach has set up in the past, and you can just watch it for free, right? And you watch the analytics of who's getting on and who's signing on and who's watching the videos, and then you know who to contact personally and invite them into a live broadcast. And then during the live broadcast, you know that this person has already been approached 20 times and you can then either call them up or send them a link to sign up or just say at the end of that live broadcast, you know, if you want to sign up for these, you get full access to everything we've done. I've got some worksheets for you that you can fill out, right? We go through the steps of finding out what your why is, right? It could be your kids. It could be, you know, for me, it got, got real simple. You know, I want to leave it better than I found it, right? I don't want to be a cancer on society. I want to be, you know, our body shares water across all the cells. When you start to become dehydrated, the water disperses through your whole body in equal amounts, right? Your body is helping keep itself alive. And all that's asked of it, and we don't even physically ask our bodies, but we, we hope that the obedience of our cells is that they'll fill their, their role in balance and not be cancer, right? The cell in your body that turns to cancer can kill it for everyone. Society is the same way. Academies are the same way. Businesses are the same way. Why do people come in when they're taking over a company and fire, you know, sometimes 50 or 60% of the people, right? They're trying to get rid of every bad egg and start a brand new culture where they can all thrive and succeed and feed off each other. It's not this, I'm this terrible, to cut costs, we're, we're going to get rid of these people. That's short-sightedness, you know, and that does happen. And that's where businesses fail when they're making, when they have a CEO who only understands short-sighted I got to do this, this, and this to get the, the bump in my stocks. And that doesn't build a company. Culture builds a company. And so you have to see that sometimes when somebody comes in, you know, it's not that they passed up this person, this person, and this person. It's that this guy is coming in from the outside. He's going to do the hard thing for us, rebuild our culture. And all these great people on the inside can now advance underneath the leadership of someone who, who understands culture. And so they're not always making these decisions for, you know, to destroy a community and culture. And I would think that if you don't see the value in a restructuring, then maybe you shouldn't have been a part of that restructure, right? You have to understand people are going to be let go and, and it's already happening, you know, and are you the guy who's going to say, all right, you know, you're going to lay all these people off. So, you know, I said, well, I can subsidize that guy. You know, if you guys keep me on payroll, I'll hire that guy as an independent contractor and I'll pay him out of my own pocket. Would that help our company to stay in line and stay in focus if I give up some of my income to help someone else kind of stick around and get some more hours in during this hard time? You know, or I, I walked in one day and I said, hey, I don't know where you guys are at, but you need to have a plan because things are going to get really tough. And I know you guys don't believe it's this bad, but I'm telling you, you're not ready for what this is. Have a plan together. Tell your people in advance so it's not a shock. And, and then the next time I came in, I said, hey, I just want you guys to know I, can, I could work for free for a period of time. You know, we could tack it on in the end and when we're successful, you can pay me back. But there, you know, I, I, have, I have an income, I have multiple sources. Why don't, why don't I keep working? And this is what I can offer 
our situation in our company, right? And some people are going to be like, what are you doing? That's crazy. And, you know, but I don't value in money anymore like I used to, right? Mm -hmm. I value accomplishing things and knowing that I did things and help people way more than money. So I am, I am the richest person I know, right? I'm wealthy and friends all over the world. I've watched people change their lives. Uh, on that note, I do want to ask you, because we had talked, we had addressed a jujitsu teacher, reach out to your clients, ask them you know, what to coach on, ask them what else to coach on outside of jujitsu, right? And then ask them to uh, invite their other friends. And then, then we talked about growing an audience that way. So that was great. You started to address the relationship aspect of it. Because part of the currency is obviously money. Part of the currency is attention given. And, and a huge part of who you stand for, what you stand for is relationships. Can you address at this point in time, we care more than anything else right now is um, how we make others feel. So talk about how to add value in relationships and how to do that in perhaps a systematic way such that you can go from living from a garage to now being board members, right? Because you took the steps necessary to yeah. build the relationship you want to build. Talk to us about building relationships in a systematic way during this okay. time. Specifically. So, you know, when I realize when I go to the academy, um, you know, when I'm saying coaches can coach online, people go to the academy because the academy to them is like church or a temple. They leave the world at the door. And here's the interesting thing about jujitsu. These are guys you're beating the crap out of you and, and it puts life in perspective. Someone's going to choke you out today or threaten to break your limbs, right? And where do you stop? Are you so prideful that they're gonna break your limbs? Because the world's doing that right now. So you have to ask yourself, are you gonna pull back and keep yourself safe, right? So you can survive this part of it or are you gonna go out in the danger zone, get yourself sick and die of a, you know, a disease? Like there's, there are certain things that we just have to understand and people go to the academy and they're talking about life with all their friends at the, the gym, right? We leave our problems at the door, right? But then again, when you're all done fighting, you're sitting there and, you're, and you'll find yourself saying, man, I was struggling with this today because you're approaching it in a different light. You're not coming in reactionary. Now you're approaching it reflexive and you'll start to say things like, man, today this happened and I was thinking about this and that. And, and then somebody will be like, wow, dude, like I experienced that before once and this is what I did, right? You realize that the academy is a place where people go, not just to work on their physical, but their mental. And then it starts to tra traverse the sport. And then you realize you're in a room full of people with problems and they're solving those problems or they've been through it before. And so if you're building your audience, all those people, they still want that. They still want that inner relation, that communication and so for me, this is easy because I, I feel very deeply, right, right, I'm an artist. Yes, there's a whole analytical side of me who understands science, but you know, when I was homeless and then I started making teeth, a year after I started making, so I, I actually started as the janitor. <laughs> he, I convinced him to give me the job. I was a janitor and at six months, he handed me a porcelain brush, right, to start doing porcelain. And it's because I was the best janitor he'd ever had. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, why don't I show you how to make the foundation, the model work? And then I was the best model work guy he ever had, right? I polished, I sanded those things down with three, grit, three different types of grit of sandpaper. I put polish on the models, made everything look smooth and shiny, right? Everything had a uniformity. It was worthy of taking a photo and putting it in a magazine. 
And so then it became fitting cases and preparing cases for him. And then people would pay him to learn. They'd come in and pay him seven grand for three days and they'd spend a day with me. And then they watched me work. And this one guy picked all of his things up at the end of the day and went into the office. And he was, I thought he was mad at me. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, I cleaned up and I was usually the last to leave. First in, last out, right? I learned it in high school. First into the office, last out. And so this day I, I had to leave because they weren't coming out of that office. And the next day I came in and I was like, hey, um, Brad, was this guy mad at me? Did I do something wrong? Because, you know, I try to do the best that I can. And if I did something wrong, I need to know so I don't do that again. He goes, no, he walked in and said, if I don't give you greater um, challenges, that you'll leave. He said he's never seen somebody put into their work as if they own the company when they're just an employee mm -hmm. and that there's something special about you. And if I didn't seize it, that I would lose it. And he said, so I'm going to teach you how to do ceramics, which is the toughest thing you can do in our profession. And so, and he's left-handed and I'm right-handed and I watched him work. This is just like jujitsu. You watch people who are better and you learn from them and you study. And I wrote notes and I did everything with teeth that I had learned from jujitsu and I applied it. And in that six months, I started doing cases that doctors would lecture about and say, oh, and this is one of Brad cases. And Brad would look at me and go, I didn't do that case. I don't recognize it. And I go, oh yeah, I did that one. Right. This is a fellow ceramist. There were only four fellows in the world as a ceramist at the time. And people were confusing my work with his. Mm. Right. Because I was learning from someone who was the best. My coach was one of the best. Mm. Right. So then I just did the things he told me to do. I didn't reinvent making teeth. I just did what successful people do. Right. And jujitsu is the same. Do what the successful people do and do what the unsuccessful won't do. Right. And so it becomes quite simple. And for me, like break it down, be simple, be teachable, right? And observing and watching and then applicable, right? Find out, well, how can I try to apply this in my life? And start to look for how applying teaches and how by doing that, you start to learn about yourself and you start to see the things you were missing before and keep notes and write those down. And so... For, for the academy scenario, you have all these people, you're building content, you're reaching out to them. For me, reaching out to people because I can feel, you know, and, I, and there's people who don't have that skill, like they don't connect the same, right? We're all made differently. But it doesn't mean that you can't still reach out and connect with people. You just have to do it in a different way. And I'm not saying being fake. For me, I would say somebody like that, the best thing you can do is just say, hey, I have problems um, relating to people on an emotional level. But here's my knowledge, and here's what I know happens if, if people do this, this, and this, we can see these successes, right? And people start to listen to the, the understanding that you do this, this, and this, and you have success. And you're listening to this guy because he was authentic and told you he has a hard time connecting, right? He's not a super emotional person. Like I've, I've had, I can probably count on my hand the number of lectures I didn't cry while giving the lecture. First of all, I get super nervous. And when I'm confronted with those nerves, like it, it, my, my body's natural reaction is to, to I don't want to do this, you know, and I want to cry. And so it got to the point, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to be able to start talking instead of like starting to break down. Right? I just started talking, started getting comfortable with that. But then when I talk about some of my stories are so hurtful, some of the things I've gone through, it's not easy for me to not revisit that sadness while I'm telling the story. And I'll literally remember how I felt in those moments, those darkest moments. So it gets hard for me to talk. And, but I don't have a problem like when I'm going there, all right, I might start crying, but I'm just going to keep going and, I'll, and then I'll break through it and I'll keep communicating. 
And, but what then you, you realize that some people, they've been in those same dark moments. And then they start realizing, oh, you know, that's, and that's exactly how I felt, right? It, there's nothing wrong with being a strong, capable, successful person who also feels emotions, cries, you know, and is authentic. And people relate to it. When I realized that when we tell stories about our own lives, if you don't tell that story, no one's going to. And if you don't tell that story, even if it makes you cry or even if it's hard, they're not going to start thinking about their own stories in their own head, right? The first time I gave a lecture and said, hey, if there's anybody out there who's suicidal, you need to talk about it because I've been there, you know, and I'll tell the story. And then I'll say, you know, what we need to do is we need to hold together. And I'm going to hold my stuff together, my shit together, because if I can do it, then you can do it, right? And, and then suddenly people after the, the meeting were coming up, giving me hugs, and every so often one would whisper, I've been there or I'm there now, and this was so important for me to hear today. It was so important for me to get through this. And I realized that if, if I held that in, those people wouldn't have had that hope that day, right? And it might not be every day, but you know, we can do this as a community. And once people start to realize that we're all the same or that on certain levels we all connect, that's when you start to, to really communicate. And yeah, it was about teeth. And I took it a whole different direction. But I wanted people to know that that was something I had struggled with and it was super difficult to get through. But I know what goes on in your mind at that time. And, you know, if, and if you need to reach out to somebody who gets it, you know, I'm there, you know, and I'm, I always give people my number, my email, and I get calls from Mexico or, you know, from Spain or Germany. I mean, I get people call me all the time with questions about teeth and sometimes just personal stuff. I want to set some goals. I want to know how to do this. And, and, and I give my time pretty liberally because the value exchange for me is watching people be successful, watching people change. Go ahead. I have a question for you, actually. So, well, personally, from my point of view, I felt it when you were discussing your dark night of the soul moment because I've been there. I understand. Totally. I, I tear up as we were speaking. So thank you for being that someone to go there and being human about it. Because I, I would say that most of the interviews that I have, very, very rarely where people share the most vulnerable dark night of the, mo uh, dark night of the soul moments. So I acknowledge you for your courage for being and showing up that way. What was my question? Let me see. Oh, right. Earning trust becoming not just someone that they know but like but also trust how were, were you always someone who people just call and say hey i want to confide in you i wanted to you know d to share with you some of the darkest moments in my life or was it more of a progression where you were more cerebral and more and more people started to trust you more in the more public format so my dad died when i was eight years old and I did not talk very much, right? I did not start talking till I was a freshman in, in high school. Uh, and it was because of wrestling. You know, the, the PE coach said, man, I was a short kid. <laughs> I was super small. And I was four, seven as a freshman. And, and my, I was the second shortest kid in my high school. And so, you know, when you're confronted with difficulty, look at 
what are the opportunities? And so he walked up to me and he's like, I need a 98 pounder. I need a, a wrestler who's, who's small, lightweight, who, you know, who, who's got some spunk. And he's like, and I watch you, I can see you're competitive. I want you to try out for the team. I want you to come be my 98 pounder. And, and then I showed up and it turns out like two other light kids, one taller than me and, and another one, you know, they were all taller than me, but we were all 98 pounds. And I was like, well, I thought I was just going to get this spot. I didn't know I had to fight for it. <laughs> right. And so, but working with him, you know, and starting to, to fight with these other guys, there was, you know, seniors that, you know, that seemed to know everything. And suddenly like at lunchtime, they're like, Hey, Dane, come sit with us. You know, they started to include me into their round table, right? Their special table. And, and it made me feel like bigger than myself, larger than life. When I was sitting with seniors, they all got their wrestling jacket, the, the letterman jackets with the wrestling marks. And, and here I am, this freshman that they're like, basically took me under their wing for, and I didn't even know why. Like, this isn't something they offered everyone, but they offered it to me and I fought hard and I got onto the, to, to be varsity. And, you know, and I, I was like a 50 percenter as a freshman. I've won 50% of my matches, but these guys, you know, took me in and treated me like I was, you know, just as good as they were. And so, and then I, I realized, you know, that I had to do the same, that when I was in that position, I would pick some, some select kids that were young and I would say, Hey, you're, you are one of us, you know, and I would give them that same experience of knowing, you know, it doesn't matter who your past is today. I'm inviting you to this table. And as long as you respect our friendship, that you made it, you've done everything it takes to qualify. It's already been done. You don't have to do anything else. Just continue to be this person. Right. And I, so I realized, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. I've, I've seen people be drug addicts who change their life and become successful business people. And if you look at the photos before and after, they're completely different people. I had that kid that, that, that I told him I would, I would fix his teeth. And one year after starting teeth, when I was a ceramist for six months, that fellow ceramist went out of business. He's like, I'm going to sell my company. I can't do it. And, and I was like, nobody's going to hire a six month ceramist. I don't care how good my work is. Nobody's going to just look at six months and say, oh, you can come work for us. And we're going to pay you good money for that. And so I got this weird belief that I could go out and talk to people and ask them for money that I was going to be able to buy the company. Right. And so I went out and I talked to everyone. I, I took him to lunch and said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm, I'm going to buy your company and I just need to know how much money. And so he gave me a number and, and in 45 days, I was able to raise that money. I bought the company and then he's like, well, what's your goal? I said, my goal is to pay off a quarter million dollars in, in one year. And he started laughing at me, my mentor started laughing at me and told me, you can't do that. That's impossible. He goes, I've been in debt for 20 years on a $300,000 loan. And you think that you're going to pay off a quarter million dollars in a year? He goes, you should have just asked to be a millionaire. He goes, it's impossible. And, and left, you know, with cash. He made me pay him in cash. So mm -hmm. he walks out with all this cash. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after he had just laughed at me and he didn't show up for four months. I didn't see him for four months. Mm -hmm. And it took me one, one, just over a month to renegotiate all the contracts, get everything in place. And I, I turned a profit. So when he came back after four months of being disappeared and nobody knew he was gone, I handled all of his accounts and, and I was still selling as much, if not more teeth than he was. 
And he came in and he started looking at the books and he saw that I was making 20, 15, you know, 10,000 a month at the company that he was losing money on. Mm -hmm. You know, he actually got upset and was like, I gave you a good business. I gave you something super, you know, and I was like, well, I put all my blood, sweat and tears into this mm -hmm. and I turned it around by doing this, this and this. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, well, at the end of that year, you know, that was in January. So at the end of that year, it was, I remember it was uh, Thanksgiving and somebody from one of the churches asked me for some money to help buy some turkeys. And I was like, I could pay off my debt and rub my mentor's nose in the fact that I have, I hit that goal or I could give some turkeys to the church for the poor. And mm. so I emptied my business bank account, gave them everything I had and said, go buy a truckload of turkeys. Mm. Because I don't, or if, if you have enough turkeys, then buy whatever, pay bills, mm. use this to help people. Because when I had nothing, they came and gave me the food. Mm -hmm. And, and I went and I worked and by, by almost Christmas time, I'd saved up enough money to pay off all that debt again. I'd once again, I was at the, the point of paying off the, the final few payments. And, and I was like, man, you know what? When I was poor during Christmas, somebody gave me presents. Mm -hmm. So I approached the kids and I said, I'd like to spend every dime we have buying Christmas for other people. And, but I need you guys on board to do that. And, and all my kids, everybody was like, let's do it. So we bought Christmas for poor families and, and delivered trees and lights and gifts and food and emptied my accounts again. And, you know, I gave up hitting this extreme goal because I realized there was something more important than financial goals, but it was to help people. And, and so I went back to work and sure enough, before the end of the month, before I'd even hit my, the end of my year, a few days shy of that year goal, I'd already made enough again to pay it off. And I made all the final payments and I still hit that goal. And I could have hit that goal and missed the opportunity to help people. I could have missed the opportunity of, of making that choice of people over money, people over stature, people over goals, and I, I remained authentic and I, and I went out and I helped people. And that year, the first two years of taking over that business, I paid myself less than my, my least paid employee. And I still lived like I was living in that garage. I still paid myself the minimum because it was more important that I was taking care of my employees and getting them behind the vision of what I was going to accomplish. And I actually getting in touch with people. I walked in and said, Hey, Guys, I can fail. I could fail. I bought this company. I spent money I didn't have. And, but I, want, I wanted you guys and I promised you guys all your, your paychecks out of my own pocket to make this happen. We're here. We're going to do this together. And I just want you guys to realize that if we do this together, the story that we'll be able to tell will be amazing and it will help people. And I, and I just, I want to know if you guys are on board with me. We're going to go out there and we're going to do the impossible, even though we could fail. But, but if we pull it off, we'll have a great story to tell. And this powered my employees and we got together and we were rowing in the same direction, doing our, our best work every day. And they did it with me, you know, and I, I made sure their paychecks were paid. I paid myself last or not at all. You know, if, if it wasn't going to happen, they were going to get paid like I promised. And I, and I would, they would never know that I didn't get a check. But I was able to pay myself those minimal amounts that whole time and pay off my debts and pay my employees really, really well. One of them was making three times what I was making. 
And then on top of all that, I gave away more money than I took home each year that I donated to charities. And so that kid that, that was running his parents' restaurant, I called him up and I, I flew him out to Boise and we fixed his whole mouth. We did all of his teeth for, uh, for free. And that kid called me up later and said, Dane, I want to pay you back for making my teeth because, you know, the universe spoke to you and told me that I was important. And he goes, and I realized that if the universe was going to take random old me and invest in me and make me somebody else, I shouldn't squander the opportunity. And so I went out and found somebody who, was, who, who understood how to make wealth. And I did everything he did. And he goes, and I'm a millionaire now. And I want to pay you back for making my teeth. <laughs> and, you know, and I was just happy he like, changed his life. And so I was like, I go, you can't pay me for those teeth. I go, the problem is that if you put value on, what I, on the gift that I gave you, then you demean it, right? You take away from the value. How much were those teeth worth if you're a millionaire now, right? Are you going to pay me my going rate? Or are you going to pay me for, for changing your life? Or what, what are you going to put? I gave that as a gift. I didn't need anything in return. And I go, if, if you think you need to pay me, I go, the only way this is going to work is you're going to have to go find people and give back. You just have to go give back. You have to be the universe speaking to other people. And I said, and if you do that, then I will feel paid back. And, and he, it was baffling to him that I would just turn away all this money. But then he got it. And he went out and started buying people Christmas, started buying food for people, donated 60 grand to a charity um, for cancer for one of the hospitals. And he's always, this, is, this guy gives more money than I could possibly give because of his extreme wealth that he's been able to attain. And, you know, but he, he decided that I was right. Like, you just pay it forward. Just leave it better than you found it. The money is just something. It just, it's like a river that's flowing through. And you have to ask yourself, as you're taking on to some of it, are you going to let some of it go to the rest of the people? And that's how economies work. You know, we're all holding on to our money. This economy has shut down. And so we have to do the hard thing when this opens up and we have to start that movement. We have to make sure we're, we're investing in the economy and in our communities by pushing some of that out. And it's going to suck that we're going to have to spend money. But if you hold on to everything and we all do the same thing, it's not going to get moving. You know, we're going to have to start our economies. If, even if it's on a trade level, I have these values or these skills to trade for that, you know, th that is a mode of exchange, value for value, in which we can start to get an economy back in motion. It starts locally, and then that moves to regional and national. And so we've got a huge fight, you know, coming up uh, with our own self to see if we're going to be able to participate in that economy to make it come back. And if we do, we're going to see the benefits of it, because every nation is equal right now. And so, you know, it's opportunity. You want to rise back to the top, you're going to have to do the hard things as a community, as a people, and invest in your people and start to make that economy start flowing because it takes inertia. And once we get that going, we could climb right back to the top or we could let somebody else to do it. You know, but it's really it, we're going to find out who we are uh, as a people, as a nation, as, as a populace in the world. Once nations start to move, they start to international trade again. What did we see happen? This company quit sending medical supplies. This country quit sending food. We're holding on to all of our wheat because we're worried about famine. And we're holding on to all of our rice. And, you know, 
it's not even money. It's, it's, it's things that they perceive that if they hold on to and don't give up, that they maintain a, a greater net worth or something. But if they don't start the action of saying, all right, well, we'll give you some of this in exchange for some of that, nations won't even climb out. And so it's, it's, we can see this on a micro level and a macro level, but it's all the same. And we're all, the people of the world will get through this together if we're willing to put things back in motion. We're willing to take that risk to say, yeah, I have this and I will give some of this up in order to see this happen or if I get this sort of value. And so it's actually going to be really interesting to watch all of this unfold and see what kind of choices humanity makes for itself. You know, and how are we going to prevent these things from happening in the future when there's a lot of this that is, to a certain extent, preventable? And if we were to change the way we, we do certain things and, and we're going to have to operate completely different in our health system. So um, anyway, and I know you asked a question there and I completely went off and it was all about, you know, setting up emotional, having emotional connections with people. But I, I was silent and didn't talk. And now you can't shut me up. <laughs> I think it's just being honest with people and mm -hmm. just sharing with them the vulnerabilities, right? If you want to, to connect with someone, you're going to do it much faster by getting into their beliefs and their vulner vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. If you find, if you talk about something, people who are like-minded will respond. You're going to see either a physical interest like, oh, you know, people, body language, right? Understand your body language. Because if they're quiet, they're not going to say, oh, I like what you said there, but you can see it, mm -hmm. make a mental note of it, call that person up or talk to them later, pull them aside and say, hey, I noticed this, this, and this. I'll go to a meeting. I went to a birthday party and I watch people. And at the end of the night, there was this person that I had watched like dancing with their friends and then having this very concerned look and on their phone. And I went to interact with them and spoke for a little bit and I got this response and then I, I pulled this person over as we were all getting ready to leave I pulled him aside and I said I I noticed that you were doing this this and this and then you you know this happened and then when I talked to you earlier you did this and to me it appeared like there's your authentic self that I saw doing the dancing and having fun and then I saw this business person take over when you were responding to things on your phone. And then when I approached you, you gave me this very commercial response. <laughs> and I was like, I, I am not com uh, this, I'm not coming on to you. It was female. I was like, I'm not coming on to you. I'm married and all this, and I'm here for my, my friend's birthday. But I just, I noticed these things. And what I am is I'm curious. I'm curious because I, I see how you're acting. And I find that within myself sometimes, I'll put on this persona, right? Here's, here's business guy. And he comes into the board meetings and he makes business decisions. But he doesn't always get emotional. He doesn't always get in there and say, Here, here's what we're fighting for and here's what we're doing. You know, and in this most recent board meeting, I had to get emotional. And I had to point out how difficult things are and that we may not even have a business meeting next year if we don't solve this problem now. If we don't account for a virtual membership meeting, we may never have this again. So are we going to seize power and freeze things and do emergency response and, and or are we going to listen to our members and find a way to reach out to them? And I said, everybody out there is struggling. They're depressed. They're laying in bed. And I'm calling them, telling them to mow their lawn. 
And if I, this measly little dental technician who's not a doctor, is the one that they're relying on to reach out and say, hey, you know, I can't make teeth for you today, but can you get up and do something positive for yourself? Can you get up and do something, you know, that you would consider an accomplishment today? You know, even if it's a simple task, do one thing today and tomorrow do two. You know, but, but pace yourself and then pick it up. And here, here are these people all over the country within our group need us to reach out to them and give them this message of hope. And we're not going to make decisions today. We're going we're gonna to pass the buck and wait for another meeting. When are we going to solve these problems for our members? When are we going to go out and, and communicate and give hope? You know, when are we going to be members as well and, and really just reach out and give them the opportunity during this hard time to get together and understand that this academy of cosmetic dentistry is a wonderful group of people who actually care, who want to have a community, whether it's physical or virtual, and that we want to listen and build our, our abilities together in cosmetic dentistry. We have the ability, the tools, the technology, and the means to reach out and give them a message starting now and take our message online and have our meetings online and let them vote and let them participate because from this point forward, how we choose to act as leaders will be the, how they determine is their relationship with this community. And they'll be members for life if we take the right actions today to reach out to them, right? How an academy professor reaches out and communicates and touches his members today is how he's going to determine if they are members for life. If they're going to subscribe and continue to tell people about the amazing experiences that they're having, both virtual and then one day in physical again, right? You want that message to go out, you have to be able to reach, communicate, and touch them on that very personal level. And it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be because you're a feeling person, you can be a completely logical person. But if you just take and, and explain to them, you know, what jujitsu is, and you relate it to the difficulties of what we're dealing with in this outside world right now, they're gonna tell their own stories in their own head, right? You can talk about your stories even without crying and they're gonna think about their stories and how they accomplished it. And for them, that's gonna to touch them on an emotional level. They're not gonna remember the things you showed or maybe all the things you said, a few things maybe, but what they will remember is how they felt. And so if you can take them to that place where they're telling their own story and feeling for themselves, that's where you start to pick up members for life. People who will go out and help build your own value because you did it for them. They see the value in it. They want to share it with other people. And, and there is a point where you can ask, hey, I, you know, if you see value in what I'm doing in this broadcast today, if you see value in this at any point that you're watching it, if it's archived and put back out, then share it with someone. Share it with 10 of the people that, that you feel need to hear it. They're important to you. Find out who those 10 people are who mean the most to you right now and send this out to them as a very personal message to those people. Here's somebody who's talking about things who went through difficult times like we're about to go through or we are going through. And he said that he made it through, that he was in absolute darkness and wanted to give it all up and decided he was going to fight. And so, you know, share that message with that, those people in your life that are, that are that important that you would share that message with them. And then, you know, they may ask people, you know, or share with other people. And a 10 by 10, you know, is exponential growth. But they do 10, three of those will actually listen or watch, 
and they might share it with 10 who then three will listen. But of those, each time you find one person who will subscribe, you know, who will say, hey, you know what, this is, I don't know where this is going, but I felt it and I want to keep an eye on this. And so I'm going to subscribe to this and see wh where it goes from here. And every person, because of technology, every person's equal right now, right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can take this uh, method of exchange that's virtual and you can put it out there no matter who you are. If you have an iPhone or if you have a computer with a camera on it or you can have a full studio setup. And I, I have a full studio set, set up back there for my dental stuff. But, you know, you can take the, the simple tools of Facebook and start reaching out for, for, to people and they'll start listening. You know, when I get on Facebook and start doing a broadcast, I start noticing people will get on and they'll comment and chat and, and send out likes and hearts and, you know, and I get to communicate with them. But that happens almost instantaneously now. If I'm going to broadcast, someone's going to listen. And I only want that one or two people who are going to actually listen because it's going to affect their life and they're going to affect the lives of other people. Right. It's really quite simple for me. But what what now if we're going to take this to, to a business level. OK, well, Dane, you know. He does all this stuff for free. You're right. I did eight hours of free dental broadcast, gave away a bunch of $100 porcelain brushes to people and a couple of other products. I spent a thousand bucks to have the, the videographer come and do it, right? I, I, I spent all this money to give something out for free to, to help people in this hard time. Now, why would Dane do that? Okay. Well, because I love people, right? And the reward was that I had the means to do it. Right. That was enough. That was enough to pay me back to know that people were listening, that one of my mentors in Spain actually hopped on was watching me give this demonstration. I was like, man, like you inspire me. I can't believe you're watching me. You know, his name is Augusta Burugada, and he has this technique for doing um, teeth ultra thin. And, and I learned it from watching him. I watched his, his lecture and then I pulled him aside and was like, will you please let's explain just a little bit more about this? And he took the time to work with me and then said, you know, if you need to reach out and need more notes, you can, here's my phone number, here's my email. Right? I do the same thing. And he was willing to do that for me. And now he's watching me do a, a, a give back during uh, this, this time that most of our people in my industry are all sitting at home. And I, and I have the opportunity to reach out to those people that are sitting at home and try to help them build their, their techniques and their skills. I was going to do it. Okay. But there is a business side to this. And I know that every time there's uh, uh, something tragic going on, there's an opportunity, right? And if you seize that opportunity to help people, then these people will believe in you and know that, hey, here's somebody who wants to help and do good things. And now I want to follow him. And the next time he comes to lecture, I want to watch him live. Or I'm going to tell these people, bring Dane out. Let's listen to him. He's, he, he could be motivational. He could have something great to tell us, right? And so that's how when this economy starts turning, People will, will want to get a hold of me in the dental industry and, and say, we want to hear it. We want some of that, right? Not just because we've seen it. We've seen all your stories, right? They've all seen the stories or that everybody knows what kind of lecture it's going to be like. But if they hadn't heard it before or they, they want to have it in person or just interact with me on a personal level, then they're going to invite me out. There's something totally different about reading a book, right, or seeing a video or meeting the author to talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. And people want that opportunity. And, and I extend that opportunity out to people. Yeah, you can, people can have my phone number. They can have my email. They can reach out. Uh, people, all, people will send messages. You know, here, I'm on WhatsApp, and you said in your meeting that I could write you if I ever wanted to. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to, to see if you can help me with this. And then I'll, uh, you know, I'll get a response to them, and they're like, I didn't 
believe that you would actually do this, right? I didn't believe that you would actually respond to my email. I was like, well, yeah, I can't respond to every single one of them every single moment. I, I tell people that I'm like, but I will get to it, right? When I'm on a, a plane, it used to be when I was on a plane and I would shut everything off, but I would go to my messages. Nobody could get a hold of me, but I could get into my messages and I could start to respond to things. It was the only time I had free of the world, right? And so it could be weekends or it could be evenings when, I, when I'm done with everything. And then I start to go through these messages and take them down one at a time. I said, I will get a hold of you usually within a couple of days. But um, if it's any longer than that, it's probably because I'm in a foreign country and they don't have internet. But I will answer the message. I'm not so big that I can't be personal yet. And I, and I know other uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs have done this. And sometimes it takes them much longer to get back to people, but they do it still. And then at some point they do, you know, they have to turn it off if they just don't have time uh, or they turn their personnel over to it. So they're still helping people, but they have qualifiers. And then that one thing that they need to actually deal with, they deal with those lesser things because they, they don't have enough time. But, you know, we, we do have that ability to reach out for people. And then when they test you on your promise and you respond, now they know who you are. Now they trust you. You said this and you did it, right? You said this hard thing which is to, to communicate with everybody who sends you a message and you certainly try to do it, right? I'll call people back. I don't have time to text you, but I have your number because you WhatsApp me, you know, what can I help you with? And I might put it live and might show them some programs and let them write them down, or I might just take some pictures and send pictures of what they're asking. But I, tr I try to get that response out. And, you know, we, we have this great opportunity right now to come together to make a lot of decisions as, as a community. And we can do this together and, and we can survive it together. And there's people that want to help us, that their reward is helping us. And, um, and we have to be willing to do the same for other people. We have to be what we want to attract in the world. And, you know, if you want the kind and, you know, and, and the helpers and, and seekers and, and thinkers, then you have to be the same. You have to be willing to open your mind and get uncomfortable and, ex and experiment with some of these tactical goals, maybe even just saying do this, this and this hard thing and feel it, feel the pain it is to do something hard and uncomfortable that you might fail at. And, uh, but when you do it, you realize you're doing the hard thing and you're learning. My wife used to always ask me to do something. Can you make this call or confront this person for me? And I'd be like, but then you won't grow. Yeah. If you do it, you're going to grow. And so, you know, she was the quietest person ever. And now she's like talking in front of other teachers. She gets in front of her students every day and she sings like she'll, put math songs together and oh, sing nice. in front of her class. Nice. And, and then she challenges her students to sing in front of the class. And, and they actually do these things. They get involved, they dress up. And yeah. she has this whole persona where she's, um, she's got this rap persona and, and all these video or, or videos or, or photos where she's out, you know, rapping and it's, and it's all like Photoshopped and, and you can tell, but she, she, you know, helps kids build this, this, this belief and that they can do math and they can participate actively in math and it has real world application. And then, you know, she gets to share little bits of dreams, you know, a dream persona with them. And she'll, she's got raps where she talks about some of the um, theories of math and, and, and it's instructional, easy to remember so kids can sing it and then they can do their own math problems. And so here's this quiet lady that I met who, you know, just bashful and big eyes and who now will get up in front of people and speak and do the hard thing because she knew that every time I challenged her to grow, that she actually did grow. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and there's, you know, there's even things that we can do on a very small level that improve our psychology. But, you know, it's, if we understand psychology, there's poses and positions we can sit in that, that we can do that, you know, we can put our hands on our hips and we can, you know, sit tall and that, that builds your confidence. You can put your feet on your desk for about five minutes each day. And that by doing that, you're, you're, you'll build your own confidence. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, that, that we're so psychological like this and that we can change our, our way of thinking just by sitting differently, just by presenting our positions differently. And, you know, I, I talk to people as like, when you're confronting your workers, you have the choice to point or to turn your hands up for help. I go, and there's a time to point and there's a time to put your hands up for help. And there, the pointing time is like that, that coming to Jesus moment where like we're coming to this point where there's a crossroads and you have to determine where you're going to be. Right. And then there's we're coming to this point where there's a crossroads where we have to ter- determine what kind of person you're going to be. Right. So you can say the exact same things, but hand position changes the meaning of what you're saying. And so I can ask people to move from one side of the room to the other and they'll do it freely. Or I can ask people to move from one side of the room to the other pointing at them and, and they don't want, they like pull back. They don't want to move. And so how we communicate with people is more than just the words we choose. It's also our body language and that we show a willingness with, with our physical persona as well. That isn't in conflict with the things that we're saying. And so, you know, what happens is bad managers choose to point a little bit too often and people live in fear, you know, and the ones who ask too often are they, they have no spine because they're always pleading for help. And I can't follow somebody who doesn't know how to do their job. Right. Yeah. So there's a real balance there where you have to know when to ask, when to point end the pointing and go back to an ask. You, you just have to there's there's ways of communicating with your employees and with people in general. And, and you have to understand that it, it's that speaking is also an art. It's, it's not an art of deception. It's an art of communication. And so you have to learn how you best communicate with people and how they best listen. So if you know your audience or if you're listening and watching your audience, then you know how to change the things you're saying in order to communicate with them. Otherwise, they're not going to get it. And yeah. so that's, that's how you build that, that confidence and belief for people you know, to believe in you, you can be a nobody and you can just start talking. But if you do the things you say you're going to do and you do not commit to things that you will fail at. Right. And we're all going to have some failures, but people watch your commitments, even the simple ones. Yeah, I'll be there five minutes early. All right. Well, if you show up on time, you're late. Right. You didn't show up early. Or if you say it, you better do it. I will be there. Right. You better be there. And so people love it when you say no right i can't do it i have too many commitments so i can't add that but here's what i will do if someone falls through or cancels i will contact you and we'll make up for it if that's all you can do then that's all you can do if you make the commitment and you double book well now which commitment are you going to break and how will that affect how people see you right are you a, a person of your word or are you a person who chooses what truths you'll tell or what you omit, right? Is an omission a lie? Th- these are all personal ethics. Where does your bar of ethics stand? And what, you know, who are you as a person? And I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that somebody's ethics are better than someone else's. They're personal, right? That's your ethics. Now, if I am a, I am actually on an ethics committee, 
So, you know, there is a point in which somebody's personal ethics can violate that of a group, and therefore it has to be judged by someone who would consider those actions. But if, if it's something that doesn't, isn't part of a community, and it's just who you are, and this is how you grew up, and you make these decisions because of that, and, you know, okay, I get it. That's why people do certain things. They're going to do this because they grew up that way, and they, they, they never gave to charity because they never had anything. You know, they'll never understand what it's like to give. But is that wrong, that they take care of themselves and their own family first? I'm not the one who's going to draw these lines in most of these situations. But people watch you. And more people will watch than, than the people who are going to listen, right? They're, they'll hear you speaking, but until they watch you do the things you say you're going to do, they're not going to be a believer. And so you, you really just have to watch your commitments, watch the type of goals you make, and be willing to voice your goals. Because if you don't voice it, then who's going to know whether you're trying or not? But if you tell people what you're going to do, you know, you declare something, now there's a whole group of people who will hold you accountable if you fail to, to move. Which is why my coach said, stop competing. Now that you chose dentistry, when are you going to be somebody in dental? Mm -hmm. And, and I had to do it. I had to shut down the competitions when I got my black belt and I went out into the world. I started doing uh, free teaching events. I went out and uh, was giving out free pointers. I would spend all kinds of time to give away charts and people would be like, man, you must have spent all this time on this. Like, I hope people see the value in what you just did for us by, by, by documenting and putting it down and just giving it to the world. And I know people who will not let themselves be videotaped because now you have what I try to teach or what I try to sell, you have that and you can give it to, away to people for free or charge them or whatever, right? And so they see that as a bad thing. And I'm like, what? Like, I know that at the end of the day, we can, I can tell these stories a thousand times and, and it can go out there a million times, but there will still be, be people who want to meet me and hear it in person or want to hear it from my own lips, who may want to ask a question about it and get a whole different perspective, you know? And so... My picture is just much bigger than trying to hold this, these secrets from people, right? I know how to make teeth, and I, I will freely give it away. I invite people to come out and learn from me for free all the time. My, my mentor would, would charge $7,000 for a weekend, and I, I don't charge for that. I, may, I make my money making teeth, right? Mm -hmm. And so why do I have to charge to teach? Why do I have to charge to lecture? Sometimes when I go to foreign countries, I don't charge. Just cover my costs, you know, and nobody knows this. Like I try, I mean, it's not like some, sometimes they're like, well, what do you need to charge? And I'll be like, oh, you know, my schedule because of this or that, like it really needs to, there needs to be some value there because I'm giving up something to be there. Right. Let's set it here. Let's charge this. Or I need to charge my full price if we're going to do that. But then, you know, I'll get a call. Uh, and it's just as this was happening, I got a call from Mexico. Dane, what will you do? I said, you know what? We're going to go through some hard times. You guys haven't faced it yet because Mexico hadn't locked down yet. I was like, if you want to bring me out there. I won't charge a dime. You just cover my, my costs. Give me a floor to sleep on. Wow. I'll sleep. I'll sleep in one of your guys' house. I'll sleep in the factory floor. Like, wow. you know, just give me a bed and give me some food and we'll have a great, nobody has to know. We'll have a great meeting. I'll, I'll teach everything I can and I'll do the longest courses. You know, as long as people want to stay and learn, I will keep teaching and, wow. you know, and, and they're like, all right, well, let's do it. You know? And then they got, went into their lockdown and, so we'll get together as soon as this is over and you know, we'll end up doing it. But that's, that's how I approach it because everything I do builds value and, and my bank account isn't 
we all have finances, right? We, money does matter. It is a mode of exchange, but it's not my purpose, right? My purpose is people and mm. I change people's lives. And if I can't get in front of them, how am I going to do that? Mm. So in order for me to accomplish my why, I have to be in front of people mm. and I have to be working with someone. And, it, you know, and even that you could look at, well, all right, so if you're not doing all these things and you can't be around people and can't teach them, then where do you get your self-worth? Well, I've already got a huge bank account of self-worth and I've, I had to help myself first and I still set goals and I still do hard things for myself. You know, I still work with my kids and I'm trying to, you know, see them through this situation right now and they see me helping other people and they may some, someday question, well, why did you go to Texas last week during this shutdown? And I was like, well, I was helping people, you know, I was helping people. And, you know, when I was, I was helping someone when, that, when our state went into lockdown, and, you know, and I called each of my kids. I said, do I need to come home right now? You know, are you okay? How do you feel? Like, I understand that you could be absolutely scared. You could even feel like crying right now because you don't know what's going on. But do you remember back in December when I started to prepare and I said, you know, there's something happening in China right now. And it, it could affect us someday. And I just want to make sure that we're, we're set and that everything's okay. And you guys realize that now there's a panic. The stores are being filled with people grabbing anything they can off the shelves because our shelves at like Utah went blank within days. And I said, you guys, because we prepared early, don't have to go into public right now. And if anybody is sick and they're in these stores while stuff's being taken off the shelves, how many people will be infected? Someone who would normally infect maybe 16 or 30 or 50 people could infect a thousand people in the stores today. And you guys can just stay home. And I, I said, I will come home right now where I can finish this task and, and come home, you know, in four days because we prepared and because we you know, we're, we're, we're not panic driven. And I said, so if, if, if you need me, like on an emotional level, I'll come home. But if you guys get that we prepared a long time ago and we're going to be fine, then let me finish what I'm doing and fulfill my commitment and I will come home and we'll talk about it and we'll get through this. And, you know, my kids weren't being affected by it emotionally. And yeah, they didn't have to go in public, didn't have to deal with the fear. So they let me fulfill that commitment. And then Texas was another little thing that popped up and and it was only a three-day thing to, to help out somebody in the academy. And I did it, and I reached out, and, and I came back and, and mowed the lawn, you know. And so I'm try, trying to do all the things I can do still on the home front, but I also realize if we don't keep helping each other, my economy will, will shut down. Yeah. You know, my, my economy of people will shut yeah. down. And, and I'm not afraid to go out and do construction. You know, construction is still open here. And I'm telling people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll just grab my tool bags, I'll dust them off and I'll go to work. Yeah. Because right? yeah. when you go to work, you're being productive, whether yeah. it's at home. You know, one of the best things they could do is say, hey, um, Home Depot is an essential. Yeah. And I found that um, very interesting and, yeah. and that construction is still an essential and they don't, they can be, you can work with construction workers and remain 10, 15, 20 feet apart from each other. Right. But all these people at home with no tasks to do. Right. And here's an opportunity to get your home in order. Yeah. Uh, what a marvelous thing 
that the that the powers that be understood that we needed to leave home home improvement places open and let people take on some tasks. And whether that was on purpose or not, I assure you that that having that ability to do the tasks that you've been putting off at home certainly sets the tone for accomplishing and being productive and frame of mind, right? When you don't know what to do and you do nothing and you do not act, you're yeah. in frustration. And frustration is one of the most powerful emotion slash physical experiences I think we can have. The act of frustration or dealing with frustration because there's no progression, right? No progression, yeah. sometimes it's a choice, choice to not act. And people who are like me who think and feel, you can think and feel yourself in circles and, if, and you're going to go crazy if you don't act, right? You have to learn to act. And for me, that was one of the things I learned when I was a kid. All right, my dad's saying I can't do anything. My stepdad says I'm, I'm nobody's hero. What if I go out and I become a great wrestler this year? What if yeah. I do the hard things and I accomplish it? And so you, you build your own belief through these actions and you escape frustration by the act of showering and shaving and dressing nice and mowing the lawn. Thank you for taking us on a beautiful journey, Dane. You had talked to us about when you face your dark night of the soul moment. You had talked to us about how you started your uh, jiu-jitsu journey. You had talked to us about how you thought about ways to get to the top very quickly, learning and get to the top very quickly and then very strategically. You had talked to us about some tactical ways that whether you're a jiu-jitsu studio owner or you're a coach or you're a yoga teacher or you are a dentist, these are all different ways how you can best navigate ways to increase your audience, right? Tactical ways to do that. You had also talked to us about how to leverage and then build your allies during this time of need. You had talked to us about how to embody leadership during this time, right? Everything that you share very palpably is your care for people. So thank you so much for sharing generously, openly, transparently, emotionally on everything that you've go through. I think there's just so much value that was shared in this time, during this time that we spent together. What is one thing? Actually, you know what? I think you dropped many, many things. So I think <laughs> we can skip that. But if people want to follow with you on your story, on your expertise, on who you are, on your wisdom, what should we send them to? Okay. So I have my Facebook is, you know, it depends on the week. People fall on and off and it's just Dane Barlow. I, I didn't build a person or a business type page. There is one, but it never really got a lot of attention. Now I'm building my Instagram, which shares automatically with that Facebook professional page. So you can look up Dane Barlow or Dane. A Smiles by Dane could be Googled. I have some videos with Smiles by Dane and my jiu-jitsu videos under Dane Barlow. The Instagram is Smiles by Dane. YouTube, I believe, is Smiles by Dane or Dane Barlow. And I'm trying to get more content out now. When all this is happening, I've been setting up so I could start to just capture content and put videos out there that people can browse through. In a couple of languages, I do speak Spanish fluently as well as English. And my email is just, it's my name. It's barlow.dane at yahoo.com. So if anybody wants to write an, an email or, or contact me, they can. And I would say that, that that would be 
one of the qualifiers. Like if, if somebody were to approach me through my email and, and wanted to get in touch with me, I would definitely share my phone number and we could um, talk more. But yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a fairly open book and can be reached through any of those methods. People Facebook message me, WhatsApp message me all the time, Instagram message me. And so, you know, that's, I would hope that anybody out there who wants to test me on that, if you find me and you like or subscribe or send me a message through any of those avenues that the moment I notice it and have my free time, I'm going to get back with you and we can have a very personal conversation. We're in this together. Times are difficult and we won't know how difficult it's going to be until we get to the other side. Um, right now, everything's in a pause and a freeze. So you know, the decisions we make coming out of this will determine how, how hard it might be. And so, you know, I, I felt like you were going to say, if, if there's one thing that people should take from all this, what would it be? And yeah, there, there are so many of these little rules that I, that I try to hold myself to on a daily basis, but it all starts with one. Okay. And it's, it's based around choice and action. And that we choose who we are tomorrow by the actions we make today, right? A champion is every day. A champion is right now, even if the world hasn't recognized it. And the champion does the acts of a champion now, right? We're doing it now. And they don't do it because the world knows who they are. They don't do it because they're the podium and they need all this recognition. And whether they want that or not, that's valid. I, I know people who just want to be famous and they don't care about money. They just want to be known and that can be accomplished. But I'm saying who you want to be and who you're choosing to be, you're doing it right now. So if you don't like your stature in life or where you're at, you can change your stars. It's a choose your own adventure. You can change your stars by the choices and actions you make today. So I would say, do not be afraid to act, you know, look for opportunity and look for ways to have action. You know, because by doing and by progressing through the act of doing, you define who you are. And so it's that simple. Get up and do something, you know, and if you're feeling depressed, go do something. Take the focus off your depression and yourself and go help somebody else. But action uh, in any method is what's going to remove us from frustration and stagnation. And that's, that's what's going to get economies. That's what's going to get businesses in motion. It's, it's the act of doing. Beautiful, my friend. What a beautiful place to leave it. Thank you so much again okay. for being here and sharing so generously with your wisdom. I appreciate you.